0: Hello,
1: everybody, and welcome. welcome to episode number 40 of Confessions of a Market Maker. I'm your co host, Ray, aka All Day Ray, aka Ray Mysterio. <laughs> and I'm joined here by my whimsical co host, former market maker of 20 years and current day retail trader, a man who longs for the days of smoky bars, door knocker earrings, and politically incorrect humor. <laughs> He's modernized, though, from odorless vaporizers to testing his luck on BrazilianCupid.com. Catch him grilling fresh Atlantic salmon on his George Foreman. I'm talking about JJ. How's it going?
2: Good, Ray. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing good, man. Doing good, man. Our guest today has been a professional poker player for 14 years. A man who worked his way through the ranks to playing the highest in some of the toughest cash games in the world. Man with over 3 million in live tournament earnings in a World Series of Poker bracelet. An early adopter of cryptocurrency, trader and investor. Co founder of two separate companies, Coin Central and Upswing Poker. One of the members of the infamous
3: Evil Empire Poker crew. I'm talking about Ryan Fee. Fees, how's it going? It's good, right? That's, that's, that's a great intro. Thank you very much. Also, it's good to know you really have been in the mix for a while because, yeah, Evil Empire is like a pre-upswing yeah. thing. So you must, uh, yeah, you must be tapped in. Uh, I, I am, man. That's why
1: it's, uh, you know, for the listeners, uh, this is a big one for me. You know, like this is someone, uh, you know, who you uh, and your peers really inspired me, added to my drive um, for poker, you know, with the passion that I pursued it with. And so, Ryan, you know, um, World Series of Poker is going on right now. Biggest event of the year. It's being held online because of the pandemic. And unfortunately, I'm barred from playing in my lovely state of Florida. How's it uh, How's it going? What's your schedule looking like? you grinding cash, little tournaments?
3: Uh, I actually, yeah. So, this year when um, COVID started, uh, I was, like everybody else, was stuck inside and poker was going bananas. So, uh-huh. Um, I hadn't been playing that much, and I'd kind of been tra- I'd kind of been traveling around, and I was in South Africa at the time, so I hopped on and started playing some PLO cash, which is like the one thing I still have sort of the fire for. Sure, played that for a couple of months, got back to Vegas, and the games actually on WSOP were really good, and just all PLO. and I was playing PLO, and then. Um, I don't know I just the games kind of died, and I also sort of wasn't as enthusiastic about playing, like mm-hmm. I think I just played too much and wanted to you know just burn that area out sure. um but then the World Series started, and uh i haven't i think I played one event, um but the cash games have really been
4: yeah been
3: popping yeah. sam Grizzle banged yeah. off like eighty k or something and then just hopped in the twenty five PLO streets and just started like yeah mashing the pot button and it's it's actually He's it's actually around. a lot of fun wow. Yeah, it's actually a lot of fun yeah. because those games it's like one player can then change the dinette. like players that wouldn't play will play and then the way that everybody will play will be different everybody will kind of be out of their comfort zone and like looking to play pots with them so it opens them up, it, like opens the nits up. Yeah. Um and makes that's like the dream for me. Uh, right. Right. So, yeah, it's been fun. Yeah, man,
1: that's great man. No, I um when you were playing some of uh, it had been a couple of months ago you were playing on uh ACR you were Twitch uh you're streaming some of them. Um some fun pots man when you when you play because I mean the at least the time I saw I mean I'm trying to think who was there Omaha for rolls was on there I mean we're talking about some of the like top-notch guys like are you playing more to like for practice to like hey put yourself against the best competition or you think all right I can duke it out with these guys I might be able to pull out an edge here
3: um it well it I mean it's like all the above I mean it depends it's kind of all of the above, like, um, sometimes like me and Omaha, like i I've played heads up with all of those guys. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Basically. I think basically all of them. Um, and then every once in a while, uh, or I guess, well, earlier this year, like, you know, when I was that month or so, we were playing a lot. Yeah. Sometimes it's weird. Like, I feel like everybody sort of gets into the rhythm. Like, I feel like most of those guys aren't, aren't even online right now, but then when the games are popping, they're around mm-hmm. and, um, you know, like we'll be in it, maybe one day the games won't go. And we're all such sickos that we'll just play four tables of three handed with like me, Omaha and uh Cobus who is uh, uh, yeah, Cobus. Mm-hmm. exclamation question mark or five times five equals 10.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, and yeah, we'll just duke it out. And uh, for me, it's definitely part. I mean, they're, I feel like they've worked, they have played a lot longer, worked a lot harder on their game. So it's definitely a bit of like a learning experience, but yeah, um, I don't know. There are some things they do wrong. But with that with that particular lineup, there's probably a few more things I do wrong than they do wrong, but um, mm-hmm. it, it's good to play and learn. And some of those – I mean, some of the games have been – have definitely been really good. Um, so, you know, there are some of the tougher lineups that I've definitely felt like I'm winning in. So, yeah, a little bit of everything.
1: Yeah, really, um, it, you know, it brought me to, like, think about um, – uh, it was a tweet you put out a little, um, a little while ago, and I really liked uh, – and it was talking about um like hey like practice your like if you practice playing plo online you could go easily beat the live games and it's like it, it is true i mean even if if you're not winning online just get on there get the hands in grind it and you should be able to win easy i mean how how are the plo games in vegas
3: amazing yeah, yeah like it's like the six-handed thing you know whatever's going on and everybody's really gung ho to get back into it um and yeah it's i feel like there's a bigger At least in Vegas, um, Mm -hmm. you know, No Limit, the the games are a lot, like I think live games in Vegas are are relatively tough to, you know, compared to, I don't know, Texas or Florida or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, But it does feel like kind of the, even from like 10-20 to 2-4 online, it feels like there's like a much bigger gap than there is in No Limit. And then, yeah, like for 1020 or whatever PLO online to live it, it does feel like it's just an enormous it, it, it feels yeah like a lot bigger mm-hmm. um in the way that yeah like you know that I think that's tweet was framed it was like this is the way you know kind of used to, if you really want to go into the past like get pretty good online and then and then go play some really and it's only going to be like one table wherever you are probably in your whole city or area or whatever, yeah, exactly. But It's yeah. going to be like probably for twice the stakes, and you know the players are probably going to be a lot, a lot worse than the other guys. So it's yeah. something to consider.
1: Yeah, for sure. All right, so so Ryan, for so you know for the listeners who aren't or weren't as immersed in poker as ourselves, uh, you want to give them just some context. Oh, you know who you are and how you rose to the position you're in today?
3: Sure. Uh, yeah, one thing I will say is that. Um, it's not immediately obvious. Uh, I do have what would be called considered Asperger's. Now it's just the autism spectrum, but I didn't know that until like five years ago. Um, so yeah, when I was a kid, I lived in downtown Philadelphia and was very extroverted, kind of went out and played sports a bunch Mm -hmm. and then moved to the suburbs when I was about 10 and then didn't have sort of like access to people, became more introverted and got into games, um, video games, card games, you know, what have you, uh, Played played this like game, sort of like magic, very competitively and seriously, called VS System in high school, which ultimately led to uh, to playing poker. Started playing poker as a senior in high school, became incredibly obsessed and like was very one track mind from like 18 through 21, 22, and was sort of like only uh, only doing that. Focused primarily on cash games. Started with like 300 bucks, Mm
0: -hmm. and
3: you know I want to say like the first year went from 300 to like 17k. The next year went from like 17K to like 250 and then flew down to Costa Rica and played my first ever live tournament or like possibly my first tournament of the year. I was like just a cash game player up to that time Mm -hmm. and um, ate like half a dozen horseshoes before I played and then just won it for like 300K. (laughs) So with 95% (laughs) of myself too, which was like just the sickest. Yeah, yeah. Doubled my role, moved to California um, and then yeah, fixated on mostly cash games, mostly heads up, no limit. Mm-hmm. Uh, that sort of dried up, transitioned to uh, a bit of tournaments, did that for a year um, and honestly found it to be quite torturous despite doing, having some decent results. It was sad, man. Like I would travel to all these places and just, you know, wouldn't really get to enjoy it. It was very grueling. And frankly, as was like an activity. I didn't really like it. Um, and then, you know took a couple of months let the dust settle and was like what am i going to do now and then uh sort of had the idea for upswing uh pitched it to doug and he was immediately enthusiastic about it mm-hmm. um now yeah uh, co-founder of upswing poker which is biggest best training site there is these days mm-hmm.
1: yeah what I- I like, I think tournament, you know, I've never, I, I play tournaments Ryan, right here and there. Not, not too much. I'm a cash game guy as well. Uh, it, it, it feels like, uh, like you said, grueling. It, f- it feels more uh, like a job in a sense, right? It's like you got to show up at a certain time to take a break when they want you to take a break. The variance
3: is un- It's just unbelievable. Nice. Yeah. The variance, like, and even like the way that like, ta- like taxes work where for those, for your listeners, like you can cash games, you don't really have losing years. But in tournaments, you can like win a million dollars, you know, pay all the tax on it, be in the highest tax bracket. The next yeah. the next year, lose half a million dollars and have like basically netted broke, broke even, even lost, Yeah. Uh, despite having a 500k profit. Um, so yeah, it's uh, for a variety of reasons. It's really it's really tough. And for me, I mean, like the, the, the tournament, a lot of the tournament guys that play it, they love it. You know, they're like they're just degens. Um, but that's not, uh, that, that gene is not one that I share. So yeah. Yeah. Same. <laughs> that's
1: funny. Yeah. Uh, that <laughs> you do have to, that, that degenerate edge. Um, what, you had the idea for upswing, like, have you always had like an entrepreneurial mindset, Ryan? Where did, where did that idea come from?
3: Uh, actually no, you know, uh, what you may not know is I've always had. So the way I've always had, um, and I, uh, the desire to to help others and not even, not even teaching, just helping. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I actually, so when I got into poker, what happened was I was at the, that time in my life, I was taking the practice SAT courses, I guess like right before that. Mm-hmm. And I kind of knew about the, the gambling books because the sections were right next to each other. So I found out about two plus two after I was like really over school. Cause I was like, what am I going to do? You know, maybe I'll do poker. Um, and I went online and found this whole community, which was way different back then. And was, there were all these different threads and sticky threads and people were posting hands and like it post a hand and then they'd have these like three numbers, like 17, five, one or something. I didn't know what the hell that meant. Yeah, yeah. Um, For those of you who don't, it's like the VPIP and Prefopop, Prefopop Rays and there statistics that are aggregated by tracking software. Um, And I was just like, holy shit, this is just so overwhelming and there's not like a concise path. Like I don't, I need like a primer basically. Mm
4: -hmm. So
3: I spent the first two years sort of, you know, ramming my head into the wall and trying to figure it out. And after about two years I had, and I had, or I guess it was, yeah, I guess it was between one and two years um, because I had made like a little bit of money. I was playing two, four. I was like, holy shit, I'm making like 90 bucks an hour. Like we did it fam. Like (laughs) we're great. (laughs) Yeah. so I was like, you know, I, I just had this idea for what was on 2 Plus 2 titled My 5K Post, which was a book, essentially a book, a complete guide for how, like, everything you would need to know, like, if you were kind of in poker's orbit or even not in poker's orbit, mm-hmm. you could read this, you could, like, then execute, like, a six max no limit strategy and kind of have a semblance of an idea of uh, of what to do. So, yeah, I, I put that out, I don't know, seven or eight years ago now, and that really took off, um... And then I didn't think that much uh, I didn't think that much of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then kind of went back back into my grinding hole. in fact, and then kind of at, at some point around Black Friday I kind of regretted it a little bit because I was you know poker is really uncertain and I wasn't sure what was gonna happen or what I was gonna do. Um, just sort of kept at it and it worked out. And then yeah, I definitely felt like towards the end of my like hardcore professional poker career, there was just, it just felt something that didn't jive with my personality about just hoarding money and information in like a hole somewhere. Like that just didn't feel right to me. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, you know, I, it really was this very good cathartic, uh, release and yeah, to this day, I mean, people hit me up all the time that, you know, it's, it's really helped them out. So it's been yeah.
1: good. that's awesome, man. I, you know, I, I got a, a question, a personal question from sure. me, like, um, you know, probably just like a year ago is when I really got out of like just full like grind mode. Um, and, you know, as you know, poker can be very consuming. And like now that I'm trading, got other ventures going on, you know, I've had to juggle things a bit better. So I don't, uh, you know, because I still play poker to an extent. But like once I get into it, Ryan, it's like, like I was saying, it can be consuming. How, how do you juggle other responsibilities or like, you know, the business and, and things like that without getting consumed by poker?
3: Uh, I actually, so I'll just, this isn't really going to be an answer to your question, but I can kind of describe sort of like what happened with me in poker and how I deal with it now. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I was, it got to be too much. Like I was kind of overdoing it with poker and sort of like underdeveloping other parts of my, myself in my life. Mm -hmm. Um, And then it became like, sort of like, I would say traumatic, you know, because if I would win, I was kind of like supposed to win if I would lose, it would like really start to irk me because I just had no, I didn't want to be playing poker. Like it was just too much. Like I couldn't do eight hours a day every day anymore. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that really sort of like ate me up. And then I had, uh, I had taken then a lot of time off and then, you know, while I was doing upswing, like that was, um, I I wasn't playing like, I wasn't honestly playing as much until like a year after that started when I started streaming again. Mm-hmm. Or started, I started streaming for the first time to sort of help promote it because like I'd spent every day working on the business. Um, so now it's, co- it's kind of like the, w- the way I do it is like um, it's, it's not very professional in the sense that um, it's, kind of, it's, it's like on my whim. It's like if I really want to play, you know, I'll play. And if I don't, I won't. Yeah, cool. And it's been like I was saying, you know, the games have been really good but like my, if my heart's not in it, like, you know, I've been in like some really good games and I'm like texting, like my friend who's like also like, I'm like, dude, I like just, my soul is just not in this activity right now. Um, so if anything, I guess sort of, for me, it's kind of the opposite. It doesn't, it doesn't, it like doesn't consume me. Like if anything, I want, I want to engage more with it and I kind of can't. Yeah. And it's, um, and I guess for the, you know, the listeners of the, the players out there, one of the, Common questions that I get is like, what ha- I'm on tilt, I'm losing, I'm this, I'm that. And, uh, you know, what do I do? And the answer is that it's it's like a marathon. You kind of have to, you guys, you just gotta step away and come back, you know? Yeah. Um, and if you can't, if you're so tilted that you can't play a balanced game, you, you, you essentially have no other option than to just not play. Uh, which is why, I mean, you're kind of in a good, well, <laughs> If you're trying to not get consumed, but you're in a good position that you have other outlets. Uh, I mean, you even have a kid, which is like amazing. Yeah. <laughs> um. Uh. So, so yeah, I would say you know you kind if if you really don't want to play, or if like you really like your heart's really not in it to play, you can't yeah. play, and that might mean you need to restructure your life in some way to make po- to minimize poker. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you play without getting obsessed? I think the way. So then to the extent that I can answer your question, I would say, you know, I do like to get really immersed in it. Yeah. Like I do That's like earlier this year when it was like one or two months. Yeah, yeah. I would try to set it up like that where it's like, I'm, you know, I'm going to give myself space away from other things and really like priority one in a professional context is poker. Yeah. And then just do that until it run, runs its course. You know, the games are really good. You have a lot of enthusiasm for it. One, you know, one or the other, both, whatever. Right. Um, right. And then, you know, and then let it go. Like, I don't think, um I don't even think it's good to be sort of singularly focused like you see a like you know like yeah over the course of the year I trade for six months I play poker for three and I you know I dick around for three and I think that's something yeah no
1: and, and honestly like I um this this past year has been way more enjoyable for me um you know trading getting with this guy JJ um not having to just be like you said like just eight hours a day of poker can just be real draining just consuming and like yeah like like the what i was getting at with that question is like yeah but it's like once i do start playing ryan and my heart is in it it's like boom just folk you know like just locked in but like you said i think that makes a lot of sense and that's been more or less my approach is like hey when my heart's in it boom we'll do it if not okay i'll take a step back and um yeah I, i have found myself enjoying enjoying it much more that way, you know, as well.
3: Yeah. I just think you know. so long as you're not beating yourself up, right? Like if you're yeah. really in it and you're beating yourself up because you should be doing this or that, like just, just let, let it go. Just yeah. be in it and do it. And then if you really don't want to be doing it, like just put the fucking mouse down, get out of the house, get away from that shit because yeah. you'll <laughs> slip in, you'll, you know, You'll rationalize a little bit, you'll be in the game, and then you'll be stuck, and then it'll eat at you, and you're like, why the fuck am I even in this game? You know, it, it just never works. Yeah,
1: yeah, no, 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 you're absolutely right, you're absolutely right. Um, And so i going to transition away from poker a little bit, because, you know, I, we got a lot of traders on here, and, um, you know, Ryan, one, you know, one of the big things I found out coming over from poker to trading is sort of like... The mindset some of the traders have are like on a mass scale, obviously not everybody, but uh, there's like a lack of probabilistic thinking, game theory. you know the the concepts that poker thrusts upon us, you know to be successful. Um, how, would, how have these skills like that you've learned in poker, helped you in a broader life? like
3: uh, I would say that's a difficult question to answer. Mm-hmm. Just because it's sort of like I—I I just read this tweet which was a quote about like, it's like I don't. It's like I don't like when I read a book like I absorb it and then it just is me. So it's not like sure. oh, I'm like oh it was this less. It's not necessarily yeah, right. so clear like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I the, the only thing that's really coming to mind is like when in decision making, in decision making, or when I make claims, okay. I will be able to like if you were to ask me about a given decision or a given claim that I would make, um, I would be able to like stack up like a series of reasoning to where like you would very clearly be able to understand my perspective and how I arrived there. It would be an opinion that was my own. Mm-hmm. Um, and I tend to find, and it, you know, I don't, I don't know what it's like with, with traders exactly, but I tend to find with a lot of people there's um, that, like a simple pointed question will reveal that they're sort of just making very arbitrary yeah um, choices. So yeah, I guess from, and and then the probabilistic, you know, standpoint, um, so one of the things that's been happening on my stream that I get a lot of feedback about is that, you know, a lot of people will say, man, you just like don't tilt. And it's mostly true. It's not entirely true. Um, but it's sort of like, well, for me in particular, I've been through the ringer so much. It's like, I get it. You know, like Mm -hmm. this is just happening. It's going to happen, you know, like whatever. And then, but I do think that translates to real life when something upsetting uh, happens and it doesn't really affect me. And it's a little bit confounding Mm -hmm. uh, to, to others. So I don't know. I mean, I guess, I guess what I'm getting at is that in theory, I think even traders sort of understand like what they're supposed to be doing and really through the virtue of just a lot of experience, I've been able to like actually practice that. And I think right. there's like a delta there um, because, yeah, and that's one of the things I love about poker trading or just life in general is I like when there's stakes um, or when there's, there's risk or like something's on the line. Mm-hmm. Uh, I find that's a lot more interesting because then you sort of get to really see what everyone's made of, what they're really holding, what they really believe. Right, right. Um, and yeah, there's, there's often, uh, especially with normal people. Yeah, uh, a, pretty big, a pretty big gap there between what they're willing to represent exactly and, uh, what they're actually holding so oh my
1: god like my my non-gambling friends which is is actually a majority um, like me like him like no because so people will make claims that i know are just like not true and you know us like well okay you want to bet on I'll bet it yeah, like, i'll bet you yeah, I'll bet yeah. On it. yeah right right it's like let's see really how how sure you are like yeah. you know like come on but yeah, I uh, you know it's even like 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 Ryan. I sometimes my non-gambling uh, friends and I've and I've spoke about this before plenty on the podcast. It's uh sometimes it's hard to get through to somebody who they just see things in black and white, and we know things are not black and white. There, there's rarely a hundred percent
3: chance of something happening.
1: I'm like uh, it might be seventy five. It might be sixty.
3: But I, I don't know. Yeah, no, this is why I don't know if you ever read Freakonomics, but um, one of the chapters in that book covers the weather forecast or maybe this is a Silver's book. I think it's Freakonomics though. Either way, basically the weather channel um, or the weather company, whoever reports the weather, if there's an 80% chance of rain, they'll actually report it as only a 60 or sorry, uh, an 80% chance of sunshine. They're only reported as 70 or 60% uh-huh. because 80% is so high that people then equate that to a hundred percent and they get upset. When the 20 percent of the time happens right right, and right. yeah it's
1: um yeah so it's like so you know it's something like that ryan i think it's like helped me in in real life you know just just knowing that there's like there's rarely any certainty or, or like 100 percent certainty like in just coming it's almost like visceral to us now right like we've been in so many 80 20 spots yeah we you know like um so i, I don't know i just think I, I think for um a lot of different circumstances and just analyzing just day-to-day decisions. Cause I mean, I see people are just terrible decision makers, just, and even simple things in life, you know, and just, just how, like you said, it's probably so immersed with yourself now and immersed with us is that like we analyze every decision very thoroughly.
3: Um, yeah, I, I also, you know, it also is another really big thing that it just sort of has come to light to me in, in one way or another is, is the ability to lose. Yeah. Like I think if you are, if you are going to be a poker player, a successful poker player over a long period of time, that which is, that is interesting too, because it's definitely not just pure poker aptitude or intuitive ability. Mm -hmm. Um, If you're going to be successful over like a long period of time, you know, yeah, you're going to have to deal with loss. um, And you're going to, it's like, you have to deal with it. And if you are to be successful, you've clearly got some sort of coping mechanism or something in some way. Because there's yeah. just no, you know, there's there's no other way to really get around it. And it's like uh you know, that's like uh that's another really big I'll say skill or trait one one can possess is, you know, is the ability to lose, genuinely take the lesson from it and then and then come back. Especially because especially in poker, like I, I tell this to everybody, like you're gonna have a uh you're going to have a streak of losing consecutively where you do everything right. That will have you question your own sanity. Yeah. Yep. Um, And that happens with like actually every single poker player. There, there's no, whichever sicko you can think of, like every single one of them has been through this like more times than they can count. Um, So when you're in the midst of it, honestly, again, reframe it, it's an opportunity yeah. to test yeah. your, your resolve and your discipline and your focus because you can get over it. And um you know, you'll be stronger for it. And then chances are you're going huge, huge fucking off swing and make a bunch of money and you'll feel great. So yeah.
1: Yeah. Resistance yeah. Is key. yeah and, I, and I feel like that that's, it's probably a tough thing for most people. I mean, probably for all of us, right. And, and this, this definitely applies to trading is separating the result, you know, from the process. How, how have you gone about that? Or do you have any tips for the listeners out there?
3: The result. can you just
1: rephrase yeah. that? Okay. So, so, so in the context of trading, right? So, cause most okay. of the listeners are traders, uh, they can win. It, it could be a terrible process on how they made a trade and it could be a winning trade or mm-hmm. vice versa. They could have a great process. They followed their strategy, however they go about trading, but they lose. How, you know, and like, and like you were talking about, this can mess us up, right? Cause you can make good decision, good decision, good decision, lose, 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 start questioning yourself. So how do you combat that?
3: Um, Again, I don't know if I have, I don't know if there is, and I don't know if I have the perfect answer to this question, so let me, I wanna change the question just a little bit. Yeah, yeah. To like, when were the times um, when either on the one hand I felt like most certain like I was gonna succeed, overcome and win, mm-hmm. or the times when I had sort of the greatest success with poker, and that's not necessarily to say you won the most money. And that was like when I really loved to play because I wasn't so concerned, like the, the outcome wasn't the primary. And, th- and this is the dichotomy between when I first started playing poker, I was obsessed for four years. There was nothing else in the world. I would rather do it. was in a 10 out of 10 perfect flow state for like, I would say two and a half, between two and a half and three years. And it's just sort of tapered off. And then, and actually when I started playing PLO for the first time, and honestly, even to this day, not as much because I, I burned that candle a little bit, but. I was just in like I didn't care, yeah, win or lose, like whatever. You know, I lost like I remember losing seventy K at ten twenty, somewhere towards the earlier part, and I was like mm-hmm. I was you know, I went to I was on this downswing I lost again. I went to gr- dinner with my girlfriend and I'm the like, kind of too t- tapped out at dinner and I'm like not really paying attention to her and she's like she's like, It's not like you've been on downstreams before, like, what is it? It's like I'm it's not the downswing, I just wanna go like I'm just thinking about playing, like I just wanna be back there <laughs> clicking the buttons, like you don't understand Yeah, yeah like the fire that I got right now. So yeah the it, yeah if you're attached to the outcome you're, you're fucked um it, you know if you just love to do it whatever it is tra- trading or right. poker in this context like it, sh- it won't it's honestly a good test for if you are because if you um it, if you, you're not completely indifferent but if you're able to shrug it off and come back with sort of like a clear mind because you're excited because you're doing let's say in a trading context this trade goes one way or another whatever couple trades go sideways you know you're back at square one you wake up the next day and then you go you fire up your Bloomberg terminal you start reading the same stuff you bust out your spreadsheets and then you're like okay you know we're buying Apple we're shorting Tesla and we're buying like or whatever right and like you've got your convictions like you've made your trades and now I don't know I guess you're, you're sweating them or you're continuing to do research and you just sort of consistently have the fire for those things yeah. you will succeed and if you don't you know, you're, you're in a bit of trouble, not to say that you can't, um, but you're going to be somewhat compromised, uh, in one way or another. So it's risky.
1: Mm-hmm. Sure. So, so what's the extent to your, uh, are you, um, actively trading more investing kind of break down your uh, trading style for us?
3: So I, um, me and a friend, so I, I've been interested in finance forever. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, I, uh, I, thought I hated reading books because all the books I like had a negative association with reading because of the yeah. books that I read in school, I was like, dude, I don't care about this character. Same. I don't care if they live <laughs> or die. Like, this, is the dump- this is a waste of my time. Like I, like, I was so off- in retrospect, I'm so offended at like w- the shit they had me reading. Cause I was like, this is an egregious waste of my time like, to this day. Yeah. Um, but then I read, uh, confessions of a street addict, which was Jim Cramer's like autobiography. Um, mm-hmm when I was a sophomore in high school and I couldn't put it down. Like I was in class, like re- it was, pr- it was like the most sick life hack ever. Like I was in class reading a book. They thought I was like working on like, whatever <laughs> book that they had me do. I was like, nah, I'm, re- I'm reading this book. And I like polished it off in like a day after not being able like, I remember having like a breakdown in third grade and crying because like I couldn't do a book report cause I couldn't read the book cause it was so bad. Like, I don't remember what book it was, but it was that. So stark contrast uh, to this book. Mm-hmm. And then I've read—I don't know—I have like two bookshelves out there. Like one of them is all finance books, Um, and the one of the ones—one of the books I've read that I couldn't stop was uh, Flash Boys, Um, basically a book about HFT or like very quantitative short time horizon trading. Mm -hmm. Um, And I went on to read what else is there's Quants, Dark Pools, couple others, Jim Simons, like whatever his new book or the guy Uh, wrote about. Man, I beat them! Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, um, I'm not too, I, I found out about value, value investing, but like my opinion now is that it's kind of like not dated. It's just kind of boring. It's just kind of like solves like a solve game. It's like limit hold Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I, I was like, this is interesting, but it's not that in, like there's other domains of investing, which I find more interesting. Yeah. And I particularly find the idea of HFT interesting because, um, it's, I like the theory and practice of it mm-hmm. uh, because you're, how do I say this? It's like, a, it's more of, it's, it's a blend of science and engineering, but it's, it's more engineering. At least it strikes me as more engineering. Um, and yeah, you're like, there are these sort of theoretical concepts involved about like, what is a given asset worth at a given time?
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, and sort of like, how much risk can you take on? What's the best way? To offer take liquidity um, so yeah the anyway, so a friend and I and a couple of developers have been working on a uh, this uh, hFt project where we essentially market make although i don 't know we're saying that because we we post a bunch of maker orders i don't know if it's necessarily market making, but mm-hmm. we offer liquidity so the best way to say is we we offer liquidity um, for uh, Bitcoin or cryptocurrency perpetual contracts. Yeah. Um, oh, And we we do so in a way which the very short answer is we come up with a um, we algorithmically de- develop what we think a the price of a given asset is in in a in a millisecond or you know subsecond time sure. like, a, like, a, like a snapshot in time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we offer to buy and sell, um, that asset essentially outside of that range. It's, it's in a bit of a range and we, we, you know, essentially we're, we'll buy cheap, cheap bitcoins, we'll sell expensive bitcoins and yeah, we make, you know, a number of small transactions a day. Um, and we're working on it for a couple of years now and it's this, I, this is more so dealing with like the, the plumbing of the market, you know, it's like, like our trades happen. There's a ton of them every day and they're, you know, the time horizons are very small, which Again, you you then could value is is kind of on the other side where oftentimes
2: yeah, we understand
3: yeah. m- months or years, and yeah. I, aspirationally we want to start at seconds and then expand to minutes, hours, days, weeks you know et cetera um I, I don't know if that's realistic, but for the time being, we are very interested in the the quantitative nature of like the sub second yeah. plumbing trades of the market um, and so where do you get
2: your cool. flow from where do we what? Where do you get your order flow from? What do you mean? Or what does that mean? Well, if you're making a market, you're yeah. getting order flow from somewhere to make the market. I'm just curious. I, mean- I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a novice to Bitcoin sure. and, and these sorts yeah, yeah. of things. So, so I, I've been making markets for you know 20 years So in equities. So I'm just curious how you get your order flow. I mean, in the equity model, we pay a brokerage firm for their order flow. So the
3: way it works and so we trade specifically are, uh, we largely trade the biggest crypto markets, which are um, Bitcoin, these Bitcoin perpetual derivatives, um, okay. which are super interesting, unique products, um, that BitMEX really sort of pioneered where uh, it's the, they have what's called the uh, funding rate where the longs pay the shorts, so the shorts pay the long, depending on an index price made, of, made up of spot markets. But then these, these derivative markets do like almost all the volume um, and yeah, and there's a, there's a couple of them. So there's, yeah, there, there's these, these interesting sort of somewhat Fugazi products oh,
2: okay. um,
3: that we, we trade across, you know, all these exchanges and so, I mean, <laughs> Fugazi, these like yeah. online regulated, unregulated, you Yeah, know, there's, there's no NBBO uh, for, no, uh, no,
2: no. So you guys are basically acting like a large prop firm making both sides. Interesting.
3: Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess. I, I don't really swear. Cool. I'm not as familiar
2: with the, yeah, the tech. No, that's no, no, cool. It's, uh, I find Bitcoin fascinating. Um, and, uh, you know, I have no, I'm, I'm an old guy. So, you know, I'm, I'm back from the days when we used to actually write our orders on tickets and call, call in on the phones. So it's it's fascinating to see, you know, a completely new market created, right? And, totally. you know, bring retail into it. And then now you guys see the opportunity to, um, you know, provide liquidity, which, you know, you know, now you're starting off in the, in the early days of it, you could end up being like a citadel of, of a crypto, right? Which is very cool.
3: Totally. Yeah. That's, that's sort of like the, that's the pipe dream. Um, And, you know, we're very fortunate in that um, we're both uh, fascinated by the topic Mm -hmm. Um, and it's, it's a crazy World, like, th- listen to this. So, um, you know, BitMEX, uh, you might be familiar with, is was, is was sort of like the BitMEX XBT USD perpetual contract was the center of the crypto universe. Like, that was, you know, if something happened there, there would be ripple effects through. Oh, okay. Kind of everything it's, else. It's the exchange, JJ, where they. Change. Yeah, the, BitMEX yeah, is yeah, the, the exchange. Bitcoin mercantile exchange. Yeah. Um, and I. Don't know what happened or how, but um Qobi opened up uh their it's called HBDN, their their derivatives market, um and created their uh their own version of this and have in a couple months overtaken um BitMEX's volume. Now really? it seems like a bunch of that, for those of you who are tapped in, it seems like a bunch of that has come from OKEX. Um and maybe not so much from Bitcoin, but just the amount of volume that they're doing there. It could be fake, but we really don't think it is based on uh, our trades there. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, and you just, you know, you would just sort of, I feel like rarely see that in traditional finance. And I mean, even in crypto, it's, it's a crazy phenomenon. So just things like that keep us interested. And then it's, you know, we really are, at least we think on sort of like the frontier and the cutting edge of mm-hmm. knowledge and what can be known and figured out, so. Um, Yeah, hopefully,
2: yeah, the pipe dream is to another out of crypto. Another quick question. So is there a lot of wash trading in crypto? Uh, What is wash trading? Wash trading is uh, deceptive trading between, say, you and I are partners and Mm -hmm. uh, we have an asset. Uh, We'll basically trade between each other, give the appearance of activity. People jump in. We move the market up and film.
3: Uh, I would say there's two examples that I am privy to. The first is that a bunch of exchanges are faking volume. It depends on the exchange. Mm-hmm. Some of them are like very fraudulent and then other ones maybe just have, yeah, like bots making and taking their own liquidity and then washing their fees. Um, that's on the one hand. The other hand, I don't know if you guys follow this, but BitMEX, BitMEX has something called their the BitMEX Insurance Fund. Um, just in case the, basically like everybody tries to sell and there are, there, there is no buyers and the, you know, the moms <laughs> can't cover the shorts. Big has something like 36,000 Bitcoin, um, or, or something that, uh, uh, they have to cover that. And it seems oh. like back when Corona first happened and Bitcoin tanked a bunch, the speculation is that a group of traders, you know, whales essentially um, decided to short the market together and go after the fund because even if Bitcoin is trading at, let's say 4k on a spot market, it can go to zero um, Hmm. as a perpetual. And if it does, the shorts will make essentially that Delta and be able to pick up the entire insurance fund. So the gossip is that BitMEX, crashed its servers. Its servers mysteriously went down around this time. Um, and then when they came back, BitMEX was trading at, I want to say, a five to $800 discount to basically every other market for wow. like an hour or so. And just generally speaking, things like this in the crypto markets is not unusual. So it, it is madness in the Wild West. And st- stuff like this, I'm not really... Um, this is like sort of beyond my understanding because I'm, I'm, you know, I'm kind of a noob and I'm very narrowly focused on what I'm doing. But it seems like the, you know, the pros, are the guys that really do know what they're doing, um, you know, the the JJ's of the world uh, are <laughs> are in there with piles of money and are yeah. Oh, sounds like
2: sounds like fun. Of the sounds yeah. sounds yeah. like the old days in the penny stock world. Yeah, I'm yeah, yeah. I'm sure these
3: guys are having a fucking blast. There's no doubt in my mind.
2: Oh, that's very cool. Now. It, it, can you trade these coins on two exchanges at the same time or is, is there arbitrage opportunity for stuff like that?
3: Oh, absolutely. I mean like a chunk okay. of what we do is arbitrage for sure. Okay,
2: cool. Okay. Cool. Okay. And nice actually
3: I have, so I have like, actually have a question for you. Well, have, I have a series of questions and since I'm sort of so insulated, it's me and my, my partner who's just, uh, he's even younger than me and he's just sort of studied math his whole life. Um, and now is more on the computer science side of things. This math pay grade is, or pedigree is way past what we would need for this project. <laughs> um, but we, so there are, it seems to us like what really dropped, you know, Bitcoin in the beginning was more, did seem to be a bit more, I'm gonna say, event driven. A bit more of an event driven assets where this would happen. It would go up or down and now it would have to go up or down. Now it seems largely detached from many events that would previously affect it. And it seems like there are just people with a lot of money or Bitcoins or whatever that, mm. um, you know, are moving the market one way yeah. or another kind of at their whim. It seems, it seems to have not, it seems not correlated to us. Yes. To yeah. Any of these events. So it's these, you know, these big markets and these, they're, um, like the whims of the participants are largely obfuscated, at least from us. I don't know, maybe they're connected yeah. and they sort of like have an understanding. We certainly do not. Well, yeah, um, no doubt.
2: That sounds fascinating because that's almost like in Globex action in the, uh, in the futures market, you'll get size traders bullying price around, right? Uh, you build a position and then you, you know, you move the market up to sell your position into and create the liquidity to sell, right? Uh, by running the stops of the shorts, right? For example, we do that every day. I mean, not us as retail traders, but I used to do it every day on the other side. Right. So that that's really cool that that's going on now because this is like, this is sort of the, uh, you know, the infancy of a market and, mm-hmm. um, you can see, oh, you know, all the, all the manipulative tactics or market making tactics that we used in the old days, you know, being brought forth, but in a much more sophisticated, uh, environment. Interesting.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I know there, there is, that's like another, there's questions about, um, and I don't, I don't know, you know, how much is I'm not, I'm not privy to any of this, but I do, there are questions being raised about, yeah. Are their internal, uh, desks or you know, yeah. do they give proprietary access to certain information to certain desks such that, yeah, they can, they can do things like that. And there definitely seems like, um, every once in a while, yeah, a bunch of longs or shorts get, roasted um and in a seemingly coordinated way but again I'm oh yeah like,
2: well i mean I, it would it would make sense that it's coordinated because that's how you know we usually hunt in packs right mm-hmm. um so that's that's the way we used to do it in the old days it happens still in in uh, you know sure. you can see prop firms you know get together and bully an asset around or a stock or something like that one last question sorry ray Dude, no, fascinating stuff now B- bitcoin is there a set number of coins or is it possible to water it down? Like, you know how, like in the old days, people would get caught short. They just print up more stock certificates, right? Mm -hmm. Is there a set number of coins and is that, that's how blockchain works? Is that to identify that those coins are actually real versus not real or how does that work? Um, Well, there um, the derivatives there can
3: be an infinite number of, of coins, okay. essentially. Um, you know, I offer liquidity, you take, we've created a new contract and there, there's something called, um, oh my God, I, how do I forget? There's a, I forget the term off the top of my head, but it's essentially like like open liquidity, like how many contracts exist? Mm-hmm. Open interest, yeah. Open interest, sorry, open yeah. interest, right. Yeah. Um, uh, so that number, from the derivatives perspective, you know, it, it, yeah. there's no yeah. um From the the coins itself, yes. The the way that Bitcoin works is we're at about 18 of 21 million coins. Uh, It's a finite supply and there's not going to be printing of any more. That said, I do believe it's technically possible for there to be a fork where um, there could be more coins printed. Um, But it would be similar to the, the Bitcoin forks that have kind of like already happened. that's kind of like a can of worms let's let's just i think for all intents and purposes for the most part we can say we don't have to worry so much about the forks yes for the purpose of bitcoin from now until perpetuity you know eight we're at 18 million we'll be at 21 they get you know really slowly through mining um
2: and uh, uh, that's another fascinating thing this this mining thing can you go can you explain that i'm sorry like for a layman like the actual mining of these coins
3: Sure. So um, the Bitcoin network uh, produces a a cryptography problem that the network will take. It it adjusts the difficulty of the problem such that the network will take on average about 10 minutes to solve the problem. Um, Sometimes it could be six minutes, sometimes it's 15, Um, but on average about 10 minutes. When it does so, it releases 6.25 Bitcoin to whoever solved the problem. Now there are like gobs of CPUs all over the world, um, essentially, and they're essentially gambling. Really, it's like they're just, they just randomly spit out. They're essentially there's this you know cryptographic string. It's like find the right string, find the needle in the haystack. Throw it at this problem. Does it solve it? Yes, you you know you win the block. You make the net block next block. You get the reward. Okay. And what happens is, in order to sort of reduce variance, is these miners uh, get into what are called mining pools, um, mm-hmm. and then they yeah they sort of collectively create blocks and then collectively distribute um distribute the rewards uh interesting and as far as you know i have a friend who has a mining company and i think they're up in canada there's some nice and a bunch in china and essentially what you're looking for with mining is uh well three things the first thing is you want um, a political climate that will not come in and steal your shit i would say that's number one uh (laughs) number two you want uh cheap electricity and number three you want cooling of some kind that could fall under electricity um Uh so it's a miss you know there's oftentimes um there's you know people will talk about how much bitcoin energy bitcoin uses um in order to maintain its network and i do think that they're being either ignorant or misleading uh with the way they say they're you know bitcoin uses two percent of all electricity it's burning down the forest or you know yada 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 um and you know i would say my argument to that is is the first thing is that a lot of this electricity uh would otherwise not be used a lot of its you know it's not like they're burning coal a lot of its hydroelectric and yeah i mean things like this and, I mean,
2: I, I've I've drilled for oil down to seventeen thousand feet. I've I've mined gold, done gold mining. I mean, they're expending a lot of energy. I mean, it's 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 not right. like those cat <laughs> D 8s are running on or uh, you know battery powered. Right. Yeah. You know? Exactly.
3: Yeah, and the the like the reason they you know you're, you're like economically incentivized to find cheap – it's like it's like they were going to throw the electricity away anyway, and it's yeah, not endangering yeah. sort of anything. Mm-hmm. That's on the one side. On the other side, I would say that you know, um, Bitcoin is trying to solve a problem. On the one, the one problem that it has solved is the Byzantine generals problem. Um, the best way I've heard the sort of practical solution for you know people or society is that it's trying to digitize trust, um, and that if in the event that it succeeds and it's on it's this path to succeed, and um, we can get into it, but I, I feel like it's on a very good trajectory. Um, I'm quite content with this trajectory. Uh, it, you know, that it's well worth the amount of electricity um, that, it, that it, you know, would consume to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we would easily get a, a return on investment. Now that said, yeah, I mean, like if we didn't have to do that, you know, if there's a technical yeah, solution yeah. that it iterates on that, awesome. Yeah. Um, but, I, you know, I don't think that's a necessity for, uh, you know, us as a society to be, to be content with uh, where it's going, what it's doing. Interesting.
1: Yeah, so, yeah, Ryan, I was, since you kind of got into it, I was going to ask, you know, go for the chalk question. I was going to ask you um, about the outlook of crypto, but you said you're pleased with the uh, trajectory.
3: Yeah, I, well, I'm, I'm specifically, I'm pleased with the trajectory of Bitcoin. Oh, Bitcoin, yeah. Mm-hmm. In the sense that, like, it's, think about it like this, Bitcoin is being hazed. Bitcoin is in a, in a process of being hazed. If it wants to have a hundred trillion dollar market cap, be this ubiquitous global store of value that everybody ultimately transaction in this gold standard. It's not just, it's going to be a rocky road. And like, you know, it's it's this weird phenomenon where like, and this happens like across multiple domains where you have doubters and everyone hates it and it's stupid, it's this and it's that. And then everyone loves you. And then like everyone like is almost like takes you for granted. Like that's sort of like the arc of it. You know, the same thing actually happened with Doug for, you know, those viewers were joined my friend Doug. Like essentially challenged the guy that was the best heads up player at the time, and then got like a lot of hate, and then like demolished him, and then everybody was a fanboy, and now he's kind of like rode off into obscurity. Um, but it's it's the same thing in Bitcoin, where like it's going to take decades. Um, on the one hand, you know, for it to deal with all the there, there's technical problems, and the technical people, uh, like Vitalik said something to the effect that he was very surprised that Bitcoin was able to do well despite not overcoming scaling problems. This is a couple years ago. And it's, he is correct in that assessment, but Vitalik's looking at it from a purely technical standpoint, there are many, like for something, the way that Peter Thiel would frame this is that in order for something to come along to overtake Bitcoin it needs to be an order of magnitude
2: mm-hmm. better
3: than Bitcoin, especially, and, and, and not just from, I, I think probably not just from like a technical standpoint, like, you know, Bitcoin has like, like absolutely superb marketing, like superb. Every every trading pair, everything's traded in Bitcoin. People right. actually have use case for it. Bitcoin. People use it to transact in value. Um, so, you know, something else to come along, it's going to be quite a task. Um, so, yeah, you know, I, I sort of like view Bitcoin in, in this sort of hazing period now. We want to work out some technical things. It's also too difficult to use for a lot of people. And I think some, you know, a, a good chunk of the older generation is just never going to get on board. So there's a certain amount of like, just, you know, people of the internet will, will be, you know, you know, just people in the future will be more likely to use it despite the technical flaws, We'll iron that out over time. Um, and yeah, and you know, in in the same way that Trump got billions in free advertising for saying ridiculous shit and getting plastered all over the mainstream media, you know, Bitcoin during its, you know, bull run up. And and now but certainly a lot, then got billions of dollars in free advertising. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm. Yeah, I'm quite content with the uh, with specifically. I mean, we talk about other other coins, but in context That's of specifically right, Bitcoin, yeah. I think it's doing, it's done great. It's doing great, and um, yeah, I'm not. I'm not so, too concerned about the bull and bear markets at all. So what 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 would um
1: what's like the end goal? It like what's what's going to success look like? It, it's uh, the primary store of value. What, what in your opinion? I don't I don't know if this there's like a consensus. Sure.
3: I don't I definitely don't think there is. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that the 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 very long term goal is um yeah, it's to be this sort of this currency that everybody uses and, and transacts in. Mm-hmm. But like I think that that's just not something that's gonna happen overnight. And I think more so it's going to be this digital gold, this store of value, this yeah, digitized right. trust right. thing um and again like you know gold's got a thousand some odd year uh history of being this reliable store of value for those of you who are you know fans of uh taleb i'm a huge fan um you know he would say it's the lindy effect gold's been around for a thousand years it's likely to be around for another thousand years bitcoin's been around for 10 years hasn't died yet um they're a little bit longer now and you know it's likely to be around for another sort of 10 years, um, you know, every day. And that's sort of another thing about, I would say about Bitcoin is, it's not so much that just the, just it exists, continuing to exist, you know, billions in volume, trading pairs, et cetera, just not dying every day makes it stronger. And yeah, I think that the, where we're headed towards over the, let's say the medium, short to medium to early long time horizon, is it being a reliable sort of like, you know source of digitized trust where um asset managers feel comfortable allocating a you know portion of their non-equities non-bond non-real estate you know type portfolio to something like yeah like a commodity or i guess in, in many ways bitcoin is a commodity um uh to have this you know secured store of value like it's what it's achieved on a security front is not um is very impressive from a computer uh computer science standpoint, at least I understood to the extent that I understand
1: computer science. Definitely. Definitely. I mean, you, I mean, you were in a lot earlier than myself, you know, just being an American and playing online poker. That's how I was, you know, got familiar with crypto. Um, Yeah. The, during the whole boom, like uh, what was it like late 17 into 2018 that, what was that period like for you personally? I mean, there was like so much euphoria uh, it was, it was crazy. So what was it like for you personally?
3: Uh, I actually, so I had, I went over, um, to a friend's house and there was a, he's an artist and they were, he was working with a writer, they're writing something. And, uh, I walk in and talking to the writer and the writers like, so is it, is this annoying or exciting for you? Hmm. And I thought about, it, I was like, man, he's like right on the money. Cause like it's both. It was exciting because I was like, "Ha, I told you, motherfuckers!" Yeah, yeah. Um, And it was annoying because, like, when like the masses are piling in, and it's <laughs> it's it's become and like it's it, the real objective is being obfuscated. It's this get rich. Get, it's basically the get rich quick idiots. When the get rich quick idiots pile in, it's terrible because it's like on the one <laughs> hand, it's like the con artists, and on the other hand, it's like the people that are getting conned, and like they're both like as far, uh, the con artists are slightly more insufferable, but like they're both bad. Um, and it's, yeah, so they're they're super annoying, but like, I mean, it's, yeah, it's also, it's also very exciting. Um, and also I just, I would, I want to offer like a little bit about my, I actually found out about Bitcoin at uh, sub $10, maybe $1, but like sub $10. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking two, I had two thoughts simultaneously. The first I actually don't remember which the first thought was, but the two thoughts were essentially like, this is really cool. This is amazing. This is unbelievable. And the second thought was, this is a fucking Ponzi scheme. Like somebody's like hoarding this thing, like it's going to pump and dump. Mm -hmm. And um, that stopped me from buying any um, because, and and weirdly, I didn't understand that these two things could be simultaneously true. Like I didn't understand that it could be a, a weirdly weird market pump and dump Ponzi thing then also be a revolutionary technology. And those things were true, especially in the, you know, the early days. Cause then it went from, I don't know, whatever price it was, let's say a dollar, dollar to 30. Oops. Back down to a dollar. Ah, like, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then it wasn't after some, somewhere after that, um, I started getting coins around 90 bucks and, um, I was like, I was like, and I was like pretty content. I was like, this is, you know, this is going to be good. Um, and uh what,
1: what made you eventually get in
3: uh i just what me it after that whole cycle i just took it seriously like it i thought it was gonna i thought it was gonna be a ponzi get dumped and then go away and it did it came back yeah and i was like that definitely raised an eyebrow Got your attention yeah. um where i was like this this thing you know like might not die and again like the next na- it's it's so you know, once you really spend time you get to watch the arc of it the narrative of like this of how humble the beginnings were, and how like important that was to its success, especially relative to all these like scam coins that are just like, yeah, buy the, buy all my coin, like give me your Bitcoin, I'll give you this thing, and then we'll see, you know, mm-hmm. um, uh, it had essentially like made it over that hump, and then and then caused me to, you know, re, you know, sort of rethink about it. And I also at the time I was playing poker, and I was having a tremendous amount of difficulty moving money around, so I really appreciated. Yeah. Right just the, yeah, the frictionless and transaction um, that it provided. So I was it, being in, being an online, like being specifically an American yeah. who was traveling abroad to plan a variety of online poker sites and dealing with different financial institutions in trouble absolutely gave me a unique perspective to appreciate the value that it had brought um, and really sort of get it and maybe maybe even overestimate it. I mean, there's, you know, 10% of me is like a crazy libertarian anarchist capitalist like <laughs> just leave us alone but you know there's like uh, so, so like that, there's was that too so like a, a lot of things sort of lined up um yes. f- uh for for me to appreciate it and then uh, and then yeah i was like this is it so i just got some
1: yeah yeah i mean i, I would imagine right poker players got to be the one of the first adopters probably right of crypto i would imagine or at yeah. least you know like you're talking about like and i've heard oh. others talk about this as well like ju- just transfer money from, from playing different tournaments around the world
3: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I've done a a tremendous number of like legitimate use case Mm -hmm. transactional Bitcoin. I would say the first, the first guys were, I think like, it seems like the first wave were really sort of like the cypherpunks. And then sort of like after that were like the, the super nerds that sort of like stumbled into it. And then after that, it seemed like drug people and and poker players like were the next like waves to.
1: Yeah. Yeah, You said drug people?
3: Yeah, just I'd like dark <laughs> web like whatever like people good. That's how Silk I first road, came yeah. across
1: That's how I first came across it, but I didn't um I guess kind didn't of like you dogs. at first. No. <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't I was just like, "Oh, this is just a way to get around." You know, I wasn't as informed back, you know, at that time point, but uh, yeah, this was,
2: this this would have been great back in the day to move money around the world. Jeez. Yeah. You know, those Swiss bankers uh they would have been pretty obsolete back then. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. Uh, I, I've got like thirty scams going in my head now. Thinking about this, <laughs> <laughs> we'll,
1: we'll talk once we we uh, turn the record off.
2: <laughs> exactly. All
1: right. Yeah, but uh, uh, Ryan, what's what your uh, your attack, if any, or your strategy for uh, traditional markets?
3: Um. Honestly, I don't know anything about how to have an edge um, mm-hmm. in traditional markets. Like, I I get that it's. I get the idea of you know sort of like on the one hand you know hardcore value investing on the other hand there's sort of like I guess growth which you're sort of anticipating what you know the DCF will be over the course of this business history and then I suppose there's also a bit of a gamemanship, you know of of you know, this 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 these guys long or short this particular asset um, and they're sort of like open themselves, opening themselves up to being exploitable. And then that creates like a way, like a wave of everybody's like exploiting everybody else. And then like one side wins and the other side doesn't.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, but I really, you know, for all of my interest in the topic broadly, like there's very few books that are read on like, it's, 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 it's kind of just like poker actually, um, on like the cutting edge of, it is. you know, it is, yeah, just to beat. So I, you know, I really, I don't know anything about uh, how to create an edge there. So I don't know. I just have, um. I just buy v- VXUS, VTI, Vanguard, mm-hmm. every international stock, every U.S. stock, and then I hope that you know the world doesn't end. But mm-hmm. coming up. <laughs> what's,
1: what's your? I know, I know you got some views on uh, the macro. Yeah, the macro outlook on things.
3: That would be if I were to do. Uh, if I were to somehow end up in a very conventional finance job that isn't the HFT thing I'm working on, I would, I would do find global macro to be fascinating mm-hmm. um, because of like how many, that seems like a, a spot where sort of like creativity and, and a lot of effort for like thinking about how these, how everything will play out um, would be super interesting. Um, so that's sort of like the, you know, the one thing, as far as like what am I my outlook looks like, I, they're a long i'll try, I'll try to consolidate basically like it's it's um i have one friend who is a trader He trades with commodities commodities chicago um and mm-hmm. he's like he's just like we play counter-strike together and he's just like listen the secret that i've learned about you know, being a trader is just everything's a fucking ponzi like the whole world's a goddamn ponzi and um you know at some point it like ends but uh What's interesting is that especially with the Ponzi, like for instance, the U S dollar and that's sort of, it's kind of is kind of, isn't, um, that thing can go on for, for quite some time. Um, and for quite a lot of money. So I don't know. It seems like the U S is in a really good, from a macro perspective, it seems like the U S is in a really good position. Our only, our only real worry seems to be, um, innovation seems to have been slowed. Um, and there's political unrest is rising um, but it seems like we hold every other card, and it seems like political unrest is rising globally um, and it seems like innovation's rising in China, which is not particularly good for us, but it's still pretty good here um, but yeah, I don't know it seems like're in a, it seems like we're in a good spot and i I you know like i like the idea of holding u s real estate and u s equities uh-huh when you, say,
1: when you say innovation slowing here, what? What's? Uh, how are you drawing that conclusion? Where's that coming from?
3: Well, uh, Peter Thiel would probably do a better job of explaining it. Um, mm-hmm. Watch basically everything him and Eric have put out, Eric Weinstein. Um, but the long the, and the way he would frame it is that we've had tremendous growth in the world of uh, bits meaning computers and very little in the, in the realm of, uh, atoms. And Eric is now on a crusade to get more, um, funding for theoretical physics because he, you know, his contention is that a lot of the innovation does sort of stem, seem to, you know, come from stemming from, uh, from physics. Um, mm-hmm. but, and, but it it does sort of, you know, uh, I, my, I'll, I'll frame it a little bit differently. So, a big part of the inequality question or the political unrest. I, I feel like what is it, the center of the political unrest in the U S is that, um, labor share of national income has just gone down basically every year since like the early 1970s. And a big part of the reason for that is globalization. Essentially, you know, their, their labor, their jobs are being, you know, shipped off, uh, mm-hmm. overseas. Um, and what's sort of um, like a sad bent to that is that is that somebody in Bangladesh or or China or wherever could compete with an American. You know, you would imagine that they would have every opportunity, that there would be, you know, businesses here doing new things, you know, finding out new ways to do it. And it seems like there's just an epidemic of on one on. Both arbitrage, meaning labor arbitrage, um, and uh, uh, rent seeking. Um, and, and it seems like there's sort of like not, you know, new sort of like ways of doing things. Like a really good example of this would be, for instance, um, uh, the telecom companies or the cable companies, you know, like, or, or transportation for that matter. Like transportation speeds haven't really improved much over the last several decades. And I don't know if anybody here has dealt with comcast or cox or in my case spectrum it's a complete disaster um and these guys are just sort of fat and happy um yeah and you know have sort of their narrative uh, oils you know oil versus nuclear another one uh or just energy in general uh cars i mean e- like elon's like a it was like a freak um you know it's like a freak anomaly and i think like Actually, I was just talking to my friend. He was like, yeah, if Elon was as worked for GM or Daimler, they would be like, "Shut up, nerd. Like you're going to get us all fired, right?" <laughs> yeah. um, there's like so, like the problem yeah. is and this is a this is a point that Eric would bring up is that there's two like it's not just Elon. There's a bunch of fucking Elon's out there and we aren't really like empowering them to innovate.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, and there shouldn't be this like it's while I think the working class has a legitimate gripe at the elites for essentially you know playing carrot and a stick with them since so sh- you know shipping their jobs you know elsewhere and, and crushing their labor um you know another another sort of bent to that is definitely that they shouldn't it's kind of good f- for them to have to have done that but it's it's bad for us to be in a position where like yeah we like there isn't like a new like a you know we have we have, the, we have, we have apple you know we have all the tech companies and, and tesla sort of like thrown in there but like we you know we should be making like electric airplanes and yeah, like hyperloops and all like all kinds of shit mm. um, that that is you know that is new that then sort of this third world can then copy us on and I think that we've it, I see the point that they're making where it feels like that has slowed.
1: Right, right. That makes sense. I mean, wouldn't you think? I mean, at least this is my theory, right? Um,
3: oh, sorry. One other one other point. Go, on go. That, yeah, yeah. Um, is uh, there's a book called Triumph of the City mm-hmm. and we can talk about China for quite some time, but one of the advantages China has is that they don't give a fuck about zoning laws. And um, so like they're able to build cities. And what you end up finding is that cities are just super efficient, super efficient for young people to congregate you know, young people, you know, like 20 through 40 mm-hmm. to congregate in, in a, in a city and then, you know, build industry, build businesses, work um, in their, you know, sort of formative hungry working years. Mm-hmm. Um, and the place where this is most pronounced in the U S is in San Francisco, where they're not allowed to build skyscrapers because as uh, some of the venture capitalists up there would put it, slumlords are have a stranglehold on the zoning laws, um, and you know are looking out for sort of their best interest. They make a tremendous amount of money because you know demand for or I guess you know demand sky high in San Francisco. Supply is quite fixed and not really nearly enough to not spend four grand for one bedroom. Um, and this this is a stupid problem for us to be having it's like the sort of catch 22 of like America. Um, was a stupid problem for us to be having but these people have rights and China, you don't have rights. Like the government just kind of does whatever they want. So like, they sort of like are edging us out in this, this way. It really just strikes me as a spot where we need to just kind of cut a deal with these guys and, you know, just pay them 50% above market for their property and then just start building skyscrapers there so people can work. Um, but yeah, I think that's like another thing that's, that's holding us back.
0: Hmm.
1: Interesting. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know too much about that. I mean, I, I guess I, like at least the way I've always been thinking about this and it's not, this is not my, like um, my own thought, it's not original thought, but uh, talking about like, so these people that are in positions to uh, stifle innovation, for example, they're mostly like what from the baby boomer generation, correct? Yeah. they also, there's a larger percent of baby boomers as opposed to
3: every other generation
1: you want to say what I'm saying so that there's more baby boomers yeah the
3: demography of the the US is weird in that like it's not so if you look from like sort of like the baby boomers down it's very flat it's like normally like a pyramid or you're you're kind of hoping a pyramid whereas in the US it's actually quite flat which is good by the way like for instance in China you know the one child policy is wreaking havoc and they're about to have a much too small, um, let's say, you know, young working class. Um, but yeah, the U S is quite flat. So it is, it is a little bit unusual that there's so many of
1: them. Right. Right. So I, I think that this is me speculating, right. You know, that, that could be stifling and they Like they're still holding on to, you know, old school values, old school way of doing things. And then like, as time goes on, we might see an uptick back in innovation as, uh, you know, our generation gets into more of these positions, you know, et cetera. Cause I mean, and I think you'd agree with me, like, like just the way China is set up, man, like, I don't think like innovation can outproduce just that solid government cannot produce a democracy or a capitalist society.
3: I, yeah, I mean, I would tend to agree. Um, but I would tend to agree that like, yeah, you know, generally speaking their whole shtick has just been to like, but have you ever been in a Hawaii, a Hawaii, 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 Hawaii whatever. Huawei store? No. You know, no. You, know, you know what I'm talking about? Co- no. Huawei is like the Apple, they, they cloned Apple.
2: Very familiar.
3: Huawei yeah. is like like to a T cloned Apple. And I was just in Asia for a little while. And like I went into Huawei and bro, it looks like an Apple store. Giant Does glass really? windows, wooden tables, iMacs and like iPhones everywhere. Like it is a fucking clone. It's the exa- they really? Like, yeah, exactly. Well we're,
2: we're, well, we're holding the lady you know, hostage in Canada up here. So, you know, really? <laughs> well, I mean, the uh, the CEO's daughter, right? Of Huawei, right? Of one of those Chinese companies, right?
3: I actually was not familiar. I don't know.
2: Well, it's it's actually a, quite an international incident.
3: That's quite that's quite an incident,
2: right? That's because the U.S. told us to to grab her. Right. And, um, and that's what's, that's, what's going on. And she's, okay. she's, you know, basically living in a $7 million house in Vancouver shopping every day while she's waiting extradition to the United States. Sounds like she's living the dream. <laughs> well, that's what she gets. See, you know, the thing is, you know, she's wow. a billionaire. She should have taken a private plane instead of commercial. <laughs> that's what you right. get. You
3: learn. Last time I'll ever fly first class, <laughs> you know,
2: just take your own plane. Right. Oh, shit.
3: Oh, right. Shit. Oh man.
1: All right. All right. Um, let's see what else I got here. Oh, oh hang on. Right. so what,
3: one point about go that. On, so, yeah. I would tend to agree that they're very, the repressive nature that their government has over speech and freedom. Yeah. You would, you would, I think it's safe to both expect and hope that that is not a particularly innovative, um, sort of like environment it's it's yeah, I mean it's not but I, I mean uh, but, but I would but I would say we don't we don't know for sure and sure and sadly we're gonna find it we're gonna find out you And like my like fingers are crossed
1: yeah it's well you know a, as gamblers as gamblers though right I wouldn't I wouldn't bet on the China side that's just I wouldn't either right right I, I, I actually
3: I, I just I had a tweet about this I don't know if I could remember all the reasons um but if you, were, you did No, it was so, good
1: oh, yeah yeah I commented on it yeah
3: yeah um Let's see if I can run through this. So, first of all, they can't ever, and I'll, I'll, you know, spare you the details, but they can't ever, they can't ever become the world reserve currency. Um, they're not exporting their culture, they're not exporting their language. They don't have rule of law. At, the capital flies out of the country, not into it. Um, uh, they have a bunch of concentration camps. Hong Kong's not making any friends, um, and they're kind of like on the ver the. So because of the, the currency piece, uh, they oh, they desperately need to import a lot of uh, natural resources. Bretton Woods is coming to an end. It'll be interesting to see what they do as far as oil goes. Uh, that could lead them to a famine at uh, any given moment. And the U.S. will be a little bit more, maybe a little bit more contentious about, you know, allowing oil shipments from the where most, they get most of their oil from the Gulf the Gulf to China.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Kind of see how that, um, that plays out. But they need... Uh, Right now, they settle They basically use uh, foreign currency to um, settle their trade deficit. And if uh, they ever run out of foreign currency, their currency will hyperinflate and they'll descend into revolution. Um, there's actually a variety of ways they can descend into revolution, but that's sort of like the primary, um, the primary factor. So it's like a yeah, it's it's looming. It's a bit of a hanging chat. It's sort of the consequences of this. You know, spectacular. What they've achieved over the last five decades is spectacular bringing 300, you know, 400 million people out of poverty and the development of their city, like is like an unbelievable achievement. And like, you know, despite all the CCP's failings, like, you know, broadly at this point and pr- probably even like in the long run, not, not to say they couldn't have done it better, but have really served their people, you know, quite well. Like they, they've, mm-hmm. they've done a great job even th- in spite of all the, you know, the one side human rights violations, like a lot of people are, are better off yeah. um, for it. But they, yeah, they might have to pay the pipeline. So. I can
1: give you a counter. I don't know if this is so much like a counterpoint, but to not not to undermine the, like you said, the the progress that they've made. But they also said it's not surprising when you come out of. Um, I, I'm I'm not a, exactly privy to their government structure now, but when you go from the communism to what it is now, like you you're going to expect there should be a, a bump. You know, as far as whatever they got going on, but that's that's communism
3: to like a pseudo free market when we feel like it.
1: Yeah. Because communism is so, so repressive to innovation, um, hoarding of resources that, Mm -hmm. so like when you break off from that, you should expect a bump in all other areas.
3: What they've done is actually quite fascinating and something that I play around with in my mind of the, this idea of like, um, it's sort of like a free market until you get to a certain size. Mm-hmm. And then it essentially becomes nationalized. Um, but they are very goal driven in the sense that they are very driven by both status and material wealth. So mm-hmm. they, they keep, it's like, you know, when the government takes over whatever, you know, Huawei or or Tencent or whatever uh, they're, they're still focused on making as much money um, as possible. Like, in fact, when I was in, I was in Bali last year and, I feel like this I met this Chinese girl who's just like a regular Chinese citizen. So I feel like she summed it up really well. Mm-hmm. She's like, in China, we just want to be happy and rich. And I was like, that's every yes, that's exactly what they want in China. They just want to be happy and rich. Probably in the reverse order, but like that's what they want. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and that's kind of and I feel like that's that sense that that's the sense I get the implicit deal that the people have on some level, whether or not they know it or don't, with the CCP. Yeah. And so you know, right now they're rich. They're happy and rich.
4: Yeah. And
3: if for some reason they're not, it's they're out but uh yeah we'll see what, i don't know we'll see what happens it's a, we'll see it's interesting. What, it's like if i think about it like if it's a tv show and am like i can't wait for the next season like it's so good
1: Well, that's i mean that's what i always thought man like um i think real life is like better than um fiction to be honest uh mm-hmm. that's just me but um jay would you ever think you ever think you would, we got two poker players talking like geo geopolitics, man uh, <laughs>
2: I don't know. My life has been stranger than fiction. So yeah, yeah. I, I agree with that.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jay, tell, tell, tell Ryan, um, actually hold on, hold on before we get back into poker. Cause there, there's some more poker stuff I want to talk about. Um, Shoot. uh, okay. Oh, I guess this is kind of poker related. Ryan, when I, when I came over to trading and more immersed in the trading community, um, people have like a sense of reverence for Annie Duke, um, in her book. Yeah. Uh, what's, what's your take there?
3: Annie Duke is like one of the worst people in poker ever. And like, if you have somehow been hoodwinked into thinking she knows what she's talking about, I have bad news for you. She's clueless and you need to take an L. See, um, the
2: thing is all the traitors.
3: Yeah. Tell them. Yeah. They Brian, all, it, it, I've, no,
2: I I have no idea who she is. See my reference from poker and I'll get into that a little bit is rounders, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's very limited knowledge, and all these traders Annie Duke this Annie Duke that Annie Duke this. They're always talking about Annie Duke, and then I meet Ray and a couple of other like people who like do this for a living, and they're like, eh, and I'm someone like I haven't read the book, I don't know anything about poker, but man, does she get a lot of like? I mean, she she's sold like, a lot of those books to the trading community.
3: She's like one of those people that like so comes from the poker community. And she's on some show or some she's doing something, and she's like, "I'm a poker player." And I'm just like, "Oh God, they're gonna mm-hmm. think I'm like this." Oh, yeah. no, like we're not like the the like you know the the success stories from poker are not. She, I mean, she's like a laughing stock amongst like the you know the, the the truly elite, you know, poker zeitgeist. It's,
1: it's yeah, Ryan. Like I was, I was so baffled in like people who are highly respected within the trading community mm-hmm. vouch vouch for her book and i felt like i had to start speaking out against this and but i'm new to the trading community you know what i'm saying but i'm like this is ridiculous i come from poker and she is not even respected and welcomed in the poker community so what she's claiming to have expertise in uh being a decision making expert she's not even respected in that community so i don't people don't
3: vet her out I, i don't know I don't, know. I don't know, dude. But, I but, feel like I should read her book. Like I haven't read her book because, like, this, like, lol. You got to be kidding me. Yeah, but like now, like with all the success she's had, maybe I should like read her book and be like, okay, I'll do this like properly, and like I'll write my own book, and then I'll be like the best selling like.
2: Well, the thing is, the a lot of these, yeah, a lot of these traders who quote her book, and once again, I have to say, I have no clue what the hell they're talking about. Um, they, you know, they use it as, you know, you should read this book; it'll make you a better trader, and. So, and then Ray was like, you know, as soon as, soon as he did one right. of his, right? Yeah. I was like, oh, okay, forget that. You yeah, know, because no, like, like, he knows what he, yeah, it's you know. a joke.
1: Yeah. Well, no, because I think, no, but in, in, uh, you know, Ryan, this goes to my point before I was saying, like, I think a lot of these people, I guess me coming into trading was a little bit different, right? Because I'm coming from a poker background, I already kind of have that um, analytical thinking. A lot of these people who are, you know, we, we deal with trading are like nine to five job. Types. and so i don't think they're used to thinking in like a game theoretical manner or analyzing risk reward um and so i think that's why people like they see this book and they're like oh wow whereas like someone who has a gaming background already like th- these are intuitive things so it's like or like you said it's already just a part of our being um
3: yeah no totally I, I i if i had like a best if i had a best-selling book in me that like would be hard for me to write because it would be almost like so obvious that like i couldn't believe that like this is yeah. a chapter
0: yeah like
3: that wouldn't and because also because like i'm in my fucking ivory tower over here clicking away not telling it you know i talked to like three people about shit right like it's it, <laughs> you, yeah like in some sense you like you know store up knowledge and and yeah you, you sort of don't release to the world like they're oh dude, it's so tilting it's so tilting i mean and even i mean even people i like I would even go to as
1: far as some people who I've even learned like trading from, especially on some of like the quantitative side of things or yeah. um, like promoting her book. Be like, oh, this was a great podcast. I'm like in this dude, we used to ask me about poker all the time. I'm like, dude, no, no, man. Like, listen, no, <laughs> you know, even if I don't know what's in her book, but just her character alone, like and what she. There's
3: no chance she's written a good yeah.
1: book. No yeah. All right. No what problem. do you, what do you think about? I just, I just actually just came from Amazon the other day. I got it. Um, Maria Kornakova's book. Uh, the biggest bluff? Have you?
3: I haven't read that. My I have. I've listened to like a little bit of her on um, podcast. My yeah. sense is that she's a very likable writer, and that she she had like a an adventure in poker. Yeah. And she'll do a good job of writing like a good book that'll be like a good read. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. But I think so. I, you know, I, I definitely don't get the sense that she's, um, well, you, you yeah. know, she, she like, she sort of like went through all like the poker, poker's a lead mine type and was like, a, you know, was like sort of like this interactive observer. Yeah. Um, and I, I, don't, I haven't read the book, but like, I imagine it's, it's a pretty good book. and It's a pretty good read.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think so too. It, it, it's funny. Another, another thing that came up, like there, there's this guy who's like trying to, um, uh, say like she's because the book's marketed like oh she's like a world champion because i guess she won a tournament i don't know you, you know what i'm saying and really? uh some some guy and i'm trying to tell to explain to this guy i'm like no no, no like she's a writer
2: <laughs> and yeah. she
1: like she did this so she could write about it she went under the experience of playing poker right i'm assuming yeah. that was the thing right so she got with yeah, sidell yeah. to write about it he's like oh no she's a world champion i'm like dude like I, I don't know i don't even know why i try and argue with these people they just fucking told me <laughs> i'm yeah, like you guys I- don't know i'm like i'm like i'm like yo like i was uh, like, like I've been immersed in poker for, for, you know, close to a decade. You know what I mean? Sure. And it's like, don't tell me or like these people I come to trading and people are just spouting out Annie Duke and like all this other shit. And I'm like, you guys have no clue, man. And like, maybe there's a good edge here for me then in trading. I'll,
3: I'll say the <laughs> problem. I mean, yeah, that is, I honestly, you know, ideally that is kind of, yeah, in fairness. I'm like, there's that
1: probably a good crazy. edge here. Yeah.
3: Right. Yeah. The, the one thing I will say about that is that there, it is kind of like a matter of perspective. Um, you know especially from the upswing side of things where i'll say it's like if there's like click click the clickbait world or like you know optimizing click through type stuff
4: right you know
3: i i don't know like maybe that is just the best like maybe that is it's like a little bit dishonest but it is sort of the best way to frame it i would not have framed it that way but like maybe it gets the highest conversions and um yeah it is a little bothersome but i'm like willing to give her the benefit of the doubt just yeah yeah well no i i'm
1: i was not necessarily i i understand that point and i'm not knocking her for that because she does seem like a genuine person yeah um i guess it was more of these other people who like promote her, annie duke or her and, and say like oh they're like well annie duke is like she's also like blasphemous
3: Fraudster. i mean yeah the other the other problem with annie duke is that she like scammed a bunch of people so like that's like it's which a, yeah. is like a whole other like that is separate from her like being an uninteresting poker mind. But yeah. then on the other side, she's also like a fraudster. So like, I just, yeah, that, that one does rub me the wrong way.
1: Yeah. 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 No, definitely. Definitely. All right. Um, let's see JJ, any, any other trading questions, uh, for him before I go back into the poker?
2: No, no, go back into poker. I'm enjoying this. My old days of poker. I have a buddy of mine. He's been a professional poker player since 1982. He's never played in front of a computer. And, um, He's a poker player, and when he hits it, he's down in Costa Rica. And then when he's not, he's working as a waiter in a French restaurant. So, uh-huh. You know, it's it's an interest. But and I'd go and pick him up at these places four in the morning, and it's always in the back of some degenerate restaurant, and every everyone's carrying a piece, everyone's got a heater, right. And it's all these really sketchy looking people and there's all this money all over the place. I'm like, ah, eh. it's very, very interesting to see the progression, what you guys are doing with this now.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was different when I told like, I told them, I'm like, no, like I display at my house, you know, I was like, oh, you don't have
2: to carry, you don't have to carry a heat. You don't have yeah. to carry a gun. Oh, okay, like, cool. Not, nice. <laughs> uh,
1: But how, how how are we on time, Ryan? We good? Because I, I got a few yeah. more things for you. All right, yeah, yeah, cool. No, let's go for it. I, um, so I start, I started off playing Hold'em. I went to PLO probably like, I don't know. I want to say like two, 13 and 14. That's when I really grinded PLO back, like in the poker juice days. Like, I don't know if you're familiar with poker juice.
3: Wait, that sounds familiar. Pok- it was, oh, it was one of the softwares.
1: Yeah, uh, I remember. This was like pre-solver. Yeah. This was pre-solver. I was, I was, you know, with poker juice, I was real heavy on that, but you know, being American, like I wanted to, you know, I wanted to get more hands in, to be honest, um, so I went back to Hold'em because they got the, the zone tables on uh, Bavada Ignition. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I'm starting to get an interest back in PLO, right? But I haven't done – I've done pretty much zero solver work, right? Yep. For PLO. I speculate, though, there is – so assuming I've done a lot of Hold'em solver work, which I have, how much translation is there over to PLO, like certain like just just concepts, betting, abstractions, etc. I don't know if I'm. Um, that's making sense to you.
3: So I would, yeah, sure. So I'll say, mm-hmm. uh, I'll just start talking. I don't know how much Go, this. go, yeah. Um, so the first thing, one of the things that a solver would teach you, you would also learn this if you followed the Claudica or Labrada's challenge, is that um, the sense you get from these solved or optimized solutions is that it heavily focuses on front-end aggression. Um, and optimizing your ranges from pre flop and on the flop around that. So I'm going to give you an example. Let's say it's a heads up, sit and go. Let's say we're 15, eh, let's say we're 13 blinds deep in a heads up, sit and go. Uh, the way it will play is it will raise all of its, it'll raise all of its, let's say tier one hands. And this is broadly speaking, it splits a bunch of combos, but broadly speaking, it'll raise all of its tier one hands, uh, limp all of its tier two hands and then fold all of its tier three hands. Now. The way a human or most humans have done this is they balance. They like throw a couple aces, ace, kings into those limbs to balance out the tier twos. Not what a solver does. Solver just raises all the good hands. uh, Let's say four tiers. Raises all of the tier one hands. Limps all the tier two hands to limp call the jam. Limps all the tier three hands to limp fold to the jam. Folds all the tier four hands. So that's a a solver concept that I think honestly transcends poker. Like yeah. I think that's just like a, it's like a thing of the universe um, and that will be broadly true and that will show up in a lot of preflop and flop decisions Yeah. Um, in pre-flop hand range as well as flop hand range and bet size um, and yeah that, that'll sort of like be true but the thing about Hold'em is that whether you have a bluff or a value bet the strength of your hand where it ranks is like quite clear. And then there's like a lot of spots where you kind of have like, we'll just broad stroke speaking, have the nuts or nothing. And then they have like a bluff catcher and then maybe nothing. And then like, you know, maybe you're supposed to bluff. Maybe they're supposed to call and you kind of have it really down. They're kind of guessing. Whereas like peel is a more technical game in the sense that the specific cards that you have in your hand govern action a lot more there's interesting more okay. about the specific cards you have on your hand and the hands on the cars on the, cards and the board right that right. dictate the best way to play your hand from like a let's say purely theoretical standpoint
4: yeah
3: um so there's more of you sort of putting those pieces of the puzzle together rather than you know, running a good enough RNG on whether or not you're supposed to call or or bluff in hold'em, And that's sort of what hold'em generated into for me. So I became, you know, kind of bored with it. And then because PLO, I was, yeah, there's like, it's just such a diverse game. There's so much going on. There's so many different spots and just, you know, you change one variable and then you're, you go from C betting 70 to 20 or 20 to 70. And um, yeah, there's just a lot of opportunity to discover and uncover, um, you know, new, new things that just kept me, kept me, keeps me engaged.
1: Mm-hmm. Do you think, you think I could jump into a live PLO game and be okay? Like, let's say like maybe like, uh, well, they, they run like a five, five game down here.
3: Um, uh, I don't With... know. I, like, I don't, it's, I don't know enough about your game. I mean, yes. I would say probably, you know, you know, what you, you know, what you should do. Upswing Poker has this thing called the PLO Matrix, which is like a PLO hand chart. Um, you have to kind of get comfortable using it about clicking around, but it literally is like the pre-flop PLO like solution. Yeah. It's fascinating. Um, and if you could like see that to see how like certain, like, you'd have to spend like an hour or two with it. Clicking around, see, you know, what, what are your really good raises, three bets, four bets, how loose are you really in the big blind? What is a good flat call? Like it's going to rank hands in ways that are not intuitive to you. Mm-hmm. It's going to teach you that. That honestly is what got me, I don't say back into it, but like back in a way back into it and got me thinking about the game differently. Um, uh, just and it's, again, it's like you get, you'll look at the pre flop solution, and you can, especially if you've been playing poker for a long time, you can intuit like that in some sense should then inform what you should do post flop because there's clear, re- like it's clearly sure. there's reasons why it favors this hand versus this hand. And then as you start to sort of like unwind these things post flop, yeah, it really, it really comes to light. And then, yeah, you can really put a lot of like strategic distance between yourself and the competition.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I want to, you know, I've been wanting to, you know, just because, you know, like I say, in this past year, I've been doing other things, not, not grinding as heavy, but like I want to jump into PLO now, but like I said, it's one, it's been years since I grinded PLO. Then this was pre solver and I don't know if I feel comfortable doing it without like at least running some, you know, running some sims you know what i'm saying so dude um, you should
3: check out the upswing course like running the sims in PLO is like a nightmare but like we had like a guy who's like this basically like we had the sim master make like the sim master course yeah and like, he did a tremendous amount of work and then also would like break it into concepts and, and a couple like tables and stuff so you could like equip sort of reference thing yeah um that thing that course is unfucking fucking like i can't believe i mean you know i'm I'm selling it so like, whatever but yeah, yeah, i mean yeah. i I, yeah. You know, I just—it's—it's it's kept me. I definitely was like falling behind because it took a lot of time off, and yeah. going through that kept me, you know, like very, very, very competitive.
1: Right, so. right. Yeah, because I mean, there's a part of me that's just like, man, fuck it. Like, I think like my 2014 PLO knowledge could like beat a five-five,
3: yeah, five game sure. in Florida.
1: You know, what I mean, I, I mean it, 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 that's me speculating, but I, I don't know.
3: Well, what I'm saying, I just it just put like a little bit of work in, like no, for sure, the like, tiny bit of work, like. You, you'll be I'm not like a- amazed at like <laughs> yeah yeah because it really is it's weird it's like dipping in it's like dipping into like alien technology or something and then going to the stone ages and playing it like that's how that's how like stark it is it's like it's crazy like i don't you know i'm just, there's listeners there's people out there in the ether that like are looking like i want to make money and like seriously like playing using the plo matrix you don't have to use the course using the plo matrix playing some like online plo Losing, failing, whatever, but just, like, playing in tough games, figuring it out, and then going and playing live, like, I, I can't imagine you not having a $100 hourly after, like, you know, a couple months of, of yeah. diligent work, and yeah. I, I know for some people, that's, like, a dream, so. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for that out there.
1: Now, I, I, I've seen you stream, I don't think, you can't play, well, I, I don't know, from Nevada, right? Uh, Bavada Ignition, you can't, is that no-go from Nevada, or...
3: I have. I don't know where it's at now. I haven't played in there in a while. I've honestly played ACR and WSOP. Have been like plenty of action. Yeah, so yeah. Haven't even really had the uh, had the need.
1: What, what, what were your thoughts on on anonymous playing in anonymous games?
3: Um, I I love it, with the exception of like every once in a while, like I want like me and a rag just want to play heads up. Yeah. Um, and I think it's good. I think we should be, like, sort of, like, allowed to do – or, like, it would be nice somehow Yeah. Um, to do that. Uh, But, honestly, like, yeah, I think Anonymous – like, I would – if, honestly, if, like, we could just make everything Anonymous, I would prefer that.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, re- it really sucked, man. It, it, a few years ago, they changed it. Like, so, like – you. I don't know. You probably remember. But, like, uh, you, now, you, now you play Ignition and bavada, they sit you down right away. Like, mm-hmm. you don't actually get to choose the table. You don't see how many people are playing. They took away the heads-up t- – well, I guess they do have heads-up table, but no one sits them um,
3: – so yeah I think yeah. it's great yeah you have to you have to like obfuscate you have to take as, uh, away the ability to be predatory as much as possible yeah sure um, it's it's good for it's and it's good for everybody it's good for the only people it's not good for are, like the tight boring really nitty bum hunters who frankly in terms especially from like the perspective of the site um, in terms of like how much rake they pay versus how much money they take off are like terrible yeah Um, and they don't and they also like from that perspective then also like do they create action answers no so like those are the your your most useless players like no one likes them yeah um uh but yeah making it anonymous encourages people generally to play to take risks and it's like very good for the recreational players in the sense that they're um preyed upon like, you know they, they have much better shot they've seen with other recreational players um and the behavior towards them is going to be far less predatory so yeah yeah the more you can do in that in that direction like i before especially given like Years ago, I could maybe have gone either way, and, pr- and probably would not have been on uh, as enthusiastic about that. But I would say, given the state of things, like we got to start making some dramatic changes to encourage uh, encourage action. Mm-hmm. It's-
1: now, the, uh, the the live games going on right now in Vegas. What are they keeping it like? Because uh, here they got have it like six handed at most places. What is it's like socially distanced? What is it like in Vegas?
3: Yeah, it's good. It's six handed. Um, yeah, six. Mm-hmm. Six handed. They got the plexiglass in there. Um, they clean every time you sit down, they clean the seat. It's honestly like, it's nice. It's nice in the sense that like, uh, the, the poker rooms in, in, in some ways have kind of like elevated their game. And, and from the, you know, treating the customer service sort of perspective, which is kind of nice to like, expect at to stay. It's also really nice. That it's six handed. Yeah. Um, definitely. I'm definitely God. a big, I know. big fan of that. It's it really sucks. It's hard to talk to people. Um, and for me, that's one of the things I like the most about live poker. So that is kind of like a letdown. Um, yeah. But, I don't know, games are good, and I know, you know, people are still coming to Vegas. Like, everybody, I think the quarantine has affected people in different ways, and, um, you know, there are definitely still people coming to Vegas that just need their release. Um, So, you know, games have been been fun.
1: Yeah, no, I I really enjoy the six-handed aspect. That's why I've been playing more live than, I mean, really ever. I don't normally go play live much. Um, Yeah, I almost almost came out there a couple weeks ago. I had a, a bunch of my Brazilian friends. Shout out to them. They listening they went out there they were wiling out at the bellagio they told me so
3: nice yeah well, yeah well, yeah i've like yeah i've met some people like yeah From florida from europe like yeah like a couple asians like they you know they're just yeah whatever man
1: I, I was so close they just they let me know they was leaving friday they let me know thursday uh you know i had to get a, someone to watch my son couldn't do it in time so you know it is right. what it is um
2: now, ryan yeah. you live in vegas
3: right yeah uh, many years now
2: yeah yeah oh really how do you like living there
3: um there are it's it's like a nice place to be uh like some chunk of the year but i think i i get a little bit cooped up here um there's kind of like two worlds there's sort of like the strip and off the strip this strip mm-hmm. is a strip i think you kind of get it yeah. restaurants well, I, I used to have an apartment
2: clubs. i used to have an apartment at the meridian
3: uh, oh cool yeah i used to live yeah.
2: there yeah just um, off flamingo there yeah
3: yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, but now I have, I have a house and I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm actually, actually I'm really close to everything, but I'm kind of immediately like nowhere. There's like a bunch of dirt roads or dirt lots and stuff oh, around okay. me, which is, you know, quite nice and peaceful. Um, but yeah, I don't know. The, the, I've been here for about 10 years and I've seen sort of a spectacular transition off the strip, um, where there's like all kinds of stuff going on, um, off the strip, especially Summerlin and Henderson, You know, they're kind of like their own little respective cities. Um, Interesting. And I don't know. I have, you know, I have like a bunch of friends here, and I just have, it's not really all that much different from living in like a suburb of Arizona for me. Hmm. And then the nice thing is if I want to tap in and, you know, go to the strip to, you know, go party or go to a nice restaurant or Hmm. shop or whatever, you know, I have it there. But I mostly stay away from it and then go once a week, once every 10 days, something like that. Interesting. Also, no state income taxes. Like, yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty good. good. So. Yes, yes, That's, that is nice. But I, I have to tell you though, I do really miss the East Coast. Um, and I've been thinking, I've been thinking about going back for a while, and I kind of want to do like six months in New York, like the the good six months in New York, and see yeah. how I like it. Yeah. Um, so we'll see how it goes. I'm actually going to. My partner got into a PhD program at Oxford in October. So I'm going to go to England for the winter, like, which I swore I would never do, but <laughs> I, I feel like we have to do it because it's too good of a spot Yeah, and that's going to be tough. And then, I don't know, hopefully everything kind of goes according to plan. And then after that, um, you know, the uh, weather gets nicer. or maybe, maybe I'll do my stint in New York there and kind of see, see how I feel. I do feel like I'm a little bit up in the air and I need, I have like Vegas as a home base, but I think maybe one more home base would be good for me. Mm-hmm
1: yeah it's tough i'm I'm, yeah it's it's i've thought about it too man i'm just such an east coast guy i don't know man it's just where my my comfortability is um i mean florida's nice too man i really enjoy living down here as well um you're well traveled ryan what what's your favorite world city
3: uh i don't know if i'll just keep like my list is essentially uh vancouver melbourne uh tokyo i mean i think bangkok slightly less um but like bangkok a little bit less than those and i was just in cape town i thought that I was absolutely phenomenal and i thought barcelona was pretty spectacular uh, as well but cape town was like cape town was like a sleeper it was like a dark horse like it's a place that i would never have thought to go but i had uh-huh. some old poker friends tell me to go and then my one friend loves black chicks and like he's been all over africa and he's like bro we're going <laughs> and i'm like all right let's go yeah, and- yeah. Like and it was I was just like blown away by Cape Town. Like I was just simply like blown away. Um, Interesting.
2: And Vancouver,
3: huh?
2: Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. Really? Is that where you're you're at now? Uh, No, I'm back in Saskatchewan, but I was there for 26 years.
3: For uh, oh wow, how did you how did you end up in Vancouver? (laughs)
2: finished uh university in microbiology moved out there with a bunch of buddies in 1990 worked as a bouncer that's where i uh met the traders from the vancouver stock exchange and red liars poker one of them gave it to me booked by michael lewis i know it. yeah and i was hooked and uh weaseled my way in nice yeah 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 vancouver is an unbelievable like
3: i kind of thought that like maybe maybe in my retirement or maybe i don't know like I, i one potential end game for my life is I spend six months in Vancouver, gets cold and rainy, I go to Melbourne, I spend Mm. the good six months there. And then, and as far as I can tell, like Melbourne and Vancouver are almost like inverted. It's like the Southern Hemisphere's answer to Vancouver. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, Just What have you. So yeah, I thought about that. And yeah, I I spent a lot of time there playing poker. Like that was like the city we would travel to to live in. Okay. And play online. So yeah, absolutely fell, fell in love with the city. So it's great. All right. All right. Awesome. We'll
1: do, do a couple of rapid fire, uh, questions here. Ryan Shoot. to wrap this up. All right. Uh, uh, books you've been reading lately. Uh,
3: the first one that comes to mind is can't hurt me. Um, by David Goggins, unbelievable read. Uh, yeah. The Jim Simons book. I don't even remember the title of it. Um, absolutely, uh, absolutely fantastic. And, um,
1: man who solved the market, right? Jay.
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We had the on. author
1: on, uh, yeah, we had the author on. Yeah. Yeah. We had the author on. Yep.
3: Oh, nice. Oh, I got to go back and listen to that one. Yeah. Um, and God, there's my book I'm reading right now, I can't remember what it is. So sorry. just gonna have to give you those two for now.
1: It's good. Um, musical tastes.
3: Uh, I love house. Um, mostly techno deep house, but mostly most things that aren't, um, like a little bit of trap but i don't like so much big room house uh and then i also (laughs) like hip-hop and but i am kind of picky about that I was actually just i played my buddy uh, one of my favorite songs it's a song called bible by uh genius oh yeah 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 i know that one yeah
1: liquid sword i think it's off liquid swords yeah that album
3: was unbelievable
1: very good very good yep
3: and then also yeah but and i'll do some like Alternative rock type stuff. Like, I think Tame Impala is like the sickest. He's like a psychedelic rock type guy. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah. All
1: right. All right. Diverse. Good. Um, Favorite movie or movies?
3: Favorite movie is called Primer. I won't tell anybody what it's about. Don't look up what it's about. If you're into having your mind fucking blown, watch Primer. It's going to be tough. You're going to have to work for it. You're going to have to be patient. But like, the payoff is unbelievable. Unbelievable. Primer. Um, other than that, you know, Big Lebowski is, uh, is there. And um, Love that one. I'm like, I'm, just, I'm super, I mostly don't like movies. Like i most movies just, I'm like, this is, you gotta be kidding me, like how bad this movie is. But then like every <laughs> once in a while, I'm like, you guys got it, nice. Yeah. Um, you know, I rewatched the matrix too. And like, I actually didn't appreciate how good that was. Mm-hmm. Um. Well, I mean, I was like, when I was a kid, I watched it. I was like, oh my God, yeah, like lasers, let's go. Like everything, slow down. I'm in the Matrix. And then like, re-watching it uh, now with sort of like a greater context for the story, I was like, damn, these guys are fucking good. So Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, I've noticed that about a lot of movies i seen in the youth. And then as you grow, you see it from a different context. Yeah. Um. All right, Ryan, you're on death row. What's going to be your last meal?
3: Oof, I thought about this myself. And... Um, <laughs> I don't know if, I don't know if I have a great answer. I would say maybe for dessert, butter cake. I'm like, maybe like pizza, a cheesecake and butter cake.
1: A cheesesteak. Okay. That's, that's a very uh, Philadelphia.
3: Very yeah. Phil. I would keep it yeah. super. Actually, you know, what's great. I made cheese. I like made my, Philly, my buddy from Philly is over now. And he's like, dude, we got to make cheesecake?" So I'm like, I spent like an hour going to all the stores, getting like the perfect ingredients and we made them this morning. And, right. yeah, I would keep it. I don't know. I've eaten at all the like the Michelin like whatever restaurants and like all that and it's cool and it's great but like dog she's taking pieces like yeah. Just, like, like can't go wrong. Can't go wrong.
1: All right. Um, toughest poker player that you've played against. Toughest.
3: Um Okay, so here's the thing is that it... We like me and Doug think about like good players and tough players like a little bit differently,
1: okay, um
3: well, so like you guys you
1: guys disagree or you guys think no, of no, no,
3: no, in the sense that like when we think of like somebody that's tough, like yeah, you know what? I would probably say jungle man, I would say for the way you phrase this question, probably jungle man, yeah, um, because and and I'll tell you why because jungle will um. Jungle will raise in spots where most players won't, or he'll develop raising ranges in spots that most players won't. He'll take the game to a logical extreme in the sense that, like, he'll put all the chips in, he'll, like, open up a door and and call it all off, bluff it all off, like, whatever. Develop raising ranges where, like, he kind of can't have it. And you could have it, but you probably don't. You probably mostly have, like, a second tier thinner value bet. Yeah. So, like, he'll start raising, and then, like, his salute, and this is what you're supposed to do. This is actually a solver. A solver would do this. And he was just like way ahead of the curve on this. Granted, he did some like whack ass jungle shit that like was not, you're not supposed to do. But like he conceptually he was right in the sense that like you, you're still supposed to raise because raising is better than calling. Right. And if they re raise you, you just fucking call. You're not like, oh, but like I'm capped. You're just like, yeah, I'm capped call. Like this yeah, is the yeah, top. Yeah. Like that's just what it is. And he was, yeah, he's just like relentless. And I remember, um, I remember a couple sessions. I remember two sessions specifically versus him. Like one where I won, one where we were playing like 5,100 to limit, and I was, or maybe even one, two, and I was winning. And he was just like, I remember I just, he three bet, I call with sixes, he bet 10, 10, four, I raise, he called, turns a card, I bet, he called, rivers a card, I shove, he calls, and like he has ace king, he like insta called the river. Yeah, and I yeah. was like, I knew you were going to do it. What the fuck's the matter with you? and like we just played like a couple more ridiculous hands and i'm like you know what this guy's out of his fucking mind he's like tilting but like he's he's weird like he tilts and like he doesn't he plays worse but crazy and different and it's not like the way most people tilt um and then i, I remember we played another session where like i don't know if he was on adderall but like it was one of the few sessions where i was on adderall and we played for like eight hours it was, and i don't know this
2: is holy cow
3: wow yeah, and I don't. I actually don't know if – you know, what was interesting I – mean, I really How many tables? How many that, tables? Do you remember? Three or four.
1: Yeah, three. So, yeah, so, Jay, so, yeah, that's eight hours of, like, you know, simultaneous three, four tables.
3: Yeah, wow. we, we probably played, like, yeah. 5,000 hands or something. Like, yeah, geez. yeah. Um, and I actually don't know if – I don't think he knew it was me, but I knew it was him. And what was crazy is back in the day is, like, the, you know, the heads up – community was like kind of small and there's all these sites and we're trying to change our names to get action and do this and that and like um i don't know how obvious it is if you're playing me but it's very obvious if you're playing jungle man if you (laughs) play jungle man before you'll know you're playing him yeah um and uh i remember god what was the hand it was like I don't remember the action. I just remember I had Queen Jack on Queen Queen 10, like something, something. And like I bet like 2K on the river or 2,300 on the river and he raised like 10K. And I like, because I'm like, oh, it's Jungle Man. He has blocker. It was like, I think that, I think it was like Queen Queen 10 to King. And I bet the river and he was just like bombed it. And I was like, this motherfucker's got King 10. Call King 10, like 25K yeah. coming my way. Like, yeah, yeah. No doubt. Um, But yeah, I would say, toughest toughest player number one is jungle man toughest player probably number two is probably will hasha um but a lot he's a lot he wasn't nearly as tough as jungle man he he was just his fundamentals were, were too weak and his intuition was off in in too many spots um but you know he he definitely got me in a couple of sessions so i don't want to take anything away from
1: him will hasha man wow that's that was i mean does he still play? Nah. No, he does, right? i was, nah. was say, yeah, that's uh, that's taking it back a little bit now, nah, yeah.
0: Yeah,
3: I, you know what's you know what's funny? I remember um, one of uh, I'll give you a dichotomy of two poker sessions. Let's just say. So, uh, this is years ago. Malaysia is playing in these these full tilt uh, four hundred, eight hundred, one hundred game, and ba- this is back around. This is like there's like a two year period where. Me and Doug would like play high stakes, and we would sell action to one another. Mm-hmm. And um, we tried to like, if he was out of the country, like I could be doing something else, or if I was out of the country, he would be doing something. And like, you know, I, he would have my action, I would have his, and we just wanted always somebody to be out there, like waiting for the good games. Yeah, yeah. So, um, it, this was a summer World Series was going on, and the the like hundred k or the million or something, it, it just happened, and, and it nicely ended up being Paul Fua. Anyway, so I go up to Vancouver. To play in these games, and as I get there, he leaves. So now I'm like up there with like nothing to do. Like there's no there's no games. And um, Will Hasha logs on, and there's like very little other high stakes action. And we start playing 100, 200 heads up, and we play for a couple days, and then we end up playing 200, 400, and we play for like three more days. I think we played like five days straight for like you know four or five hours a day or something like that. So mm-hmm. the high stakes, were on two plus two, I think this was in 2013 for that. Month is just like page after page of like Doughboy Fresh versus Will Hasher Hands. Like it's just over, and like it's just like out there, and like every day, like somebody's winning or losing like hundreds of thousands of dollars, right? And it's just like a war, and I'm like locked in on this war, and um, and I'm getting like no love. Like I'm getting like I'm getting like two plus two love, but like my like people back home are like they're ignoring me because somebody stole somebody left out five hundred dollars, and then somebody stole it, and like they're they're like the whatever like they were dealing with that and i'm like yo like we won like 300k today you guys like it's cool like i got the 500 yeah, we got, yeah. <laughs> and, like, but they're just they're just like all wrapped up in this like little bit of drama and that drove yeah. me like insane like i'm like out here <laughs> holding on the fucking fort and you guys are worried about 500 bucks yeah um, dichotomize that, that with uh, like a year later mm-hmm. i'm uh, i'm playing in some live tournament this is when i got that like kick for live tournaments play some live yeah. tournament and uh i win it ironically versus sauce heads up somehow who had this is regret after the doug challenge a couple months later yeah
1: um
3: and uh uh i win this tournament and there's so there's like a picture of me on facebook or twitter or whatever and like everybody i've ever known, like dude that's so sick like oh, yeah, the tournament know, yeah they're... man i'm like guys i want to fucking sit and go right now you need to chill the fuck out. yeah like, yeah this, yeah getting you away um and yeah, that's kind of like for like an online poker player. It's like a very thankless glory. Glo- There's no glory. It is. It in is. Online cash. Uh, but if you play a tournament, it's just, it's basically, it's <laughs> devastation. Online cash is a, can be a fun, happy, interesting way to make a good, consistent, stable living. Can be. Yeah. Yeah. Online, live tournaments are just devastation of glory. That's all. It's like 98% devastation and 2% like max score, And like, that's, yeah. that's your life. That's what it is. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, there's, there's, there's no, eh, and you know, this, and then like, I know someone like you would understand this, right? Like there, there's, like you said, there's no, eh, no glitz and glamor. I mean, especially for an American online poker. And I was always jealous, man, that like, I didn't like, I played a little bit before black Friday, Ryan, but not like I was still a bit younger. I mean, I was still under, I mean, like black Friday hit, I was 18, you mm-hmm. know? So like I was, I didn't, I wasn't able to get myself fully, fully immersed in it at that time. You know what I mean? And, um, you know, there's certain people down here that, you know, bank some tournaments, you know, for, you know, whatever, down at the Hard Rock or whatever. And mm-hmm. uh, people always talk to me like, oh, like, he won this tournament. Like, you say you're so good. And I'm like, man, you guys just don't understand. Oh, like, God. it's not even, you know, yeah, it's like, like,
3: you know what it's like? It's like, it's like, that's like the epitome of like Phil Helmuth's like existence. Yeah, it's like it's like Phil. Here are all these facts that like validate that like you're a clueless donkey, and he's like, yeah, check out these. Yeah, but che- yeah, blow, yeah, like. yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, it, yeah. It's all just right. I don't even get tilted no more about it. I'm like, all right, like if the, if your little buddy wants to like you know, play heads up, or he wants to come over, like whatever, you know, we could do that. Like yeah. you know, it's just like I don't. It, yeah. It's a different game, but um, you know, you know, speaking of the tournaments, I remember man, cause I'm down here, uh, cause they were streaming it. And I was down, I was at the Hard Rock. You you, you came, Um, you must give me second place. It was one of the High Roller events down here. Yeah. It's been years, yeah, it's ago. years ago. Remember, at, at, uh, it was at Hollywood, right? At the Hard Rock. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: Yeah, that was... I, that I, forget, was I forget who you were playing. Who was... Uh... Dude, that was crazy. So that was on the end of some trip where I had gone to... At first, me and my girlfriend went to Paris. Then we went to Barcelona. I did really well in Barcelona. So I just played poker for like 14 days straight. And then I played... Then I went, yeah, we went to Florida. I played the main event for like a day busted. Then I played the 100K qualifier and I won it or I got second. So that was like another day of poker. Then we played that. Yeah. Um, that was another like 100K sit and go. And um, there was a discrepancy with uh, the way they did the payouts. Like the, the It was written down. It was one way. And the, what the guy told us when we asked him on the fly was like another way and what happened was basically scott siever busted four players so he had 500k chips and then everybody else had 100k and it was the, whatever the payouts were were better for him with the way that they were announced not the way that they were written so the tournament director guy comes over and is like yeah it's like the way it's written like whatever and we all peace out and scott just like sits there and like keeps arguing um and by the way fuck scott and uh and like gets somehow gets the fucking indian chief guy to be like to to switch it so like i'm drunk now i'm drunk it's a couple hours later i'm drunk with my friends at dinner and i read on twitter they're changing the payout structure which yeah. like is like an egregious like lack of judgment um so now i'm like wasted at like 11 p.m. like i got to be at this final table in like 10 hours or something like i don't have, like, you know like so i just i know this isn't really my thing but like i normally just like i'm i'm like like I rate and just like berating like the hard rock on Twitter, basically mm-hmm. like call, calling them fraudster, whatever the hell I was saying. Um, and, and then, yeah. And then like, I I remember there was like a poker star up there, like trying to calm me down. I'm like, bro, I have like 12 hours to make this right. You're going to fuck us over. Like I, what choice do you give me? Like, he's mm-hmm. like, be reasonable. I'm like, are you out of your fucking mind. Um, so, uh, anyway, I, we bitch and moan and then we get the, the Indian guy shows up to that thing too, which was like kind of cool. Like he's like in like half suit, half like, like Indian stuff. And I'm like, yeah, this, yeah, is yeah. Fucking, this, this is the guy. I mean, yeah, this guy owns this <laughs> casino. Like I'm sure you're in charge. Um, and I'm like, we like plead our case. And he's like, all right, third place gets 50 K. And we're like, and at that point it was like, it was like, look, you guys are like fucking idiots. Like it financially acknowledge that you're idiots. And like, it's done. Right. They're like part of it's the money. Part of it's a gesture. Um, third 50k for third place boom and then i like stack scott like three times bust him out of the tournament, and he gets third so like he got that 50k like from the goodness of my heart yeah um, yeah and i think i got second so but yeah
1: anyway yeah going. yeah no I, I i just remembered that because i mean that had to have been like i don't know 2000 yeah i don't know i don't remember 15 14 around there um
3: 14 yeah end of 14 yeah
1: 14 yeah yeah, yeah. all right cool um let's see what else i got here um Okay, I guess we'll, we'll make this the last one here. Uh th- thoughts on microdosing psychedelics?
3: Uh
1: or just psychedelics in general?
3: Just psychedelics. I mean, uh, super interesting. Have definitely like have definitely helped me a lot. Um mm-hmm. like I was saying, uh you know, I um you know, I have I've Aspergers, um and I would say that psychedelics have really helped me, let's say, develop my humanity and think about things different way. Actually, the way I got into poker was the first time I, I had psychedelics was I, I was 18 years old. I ate a bag. And I, like my life was kind of falling apart at the time. Like I didn't like I didn't have like proper guidance. And like, I wasn't doing well in school. I just didn't really know what to do with myself. And I ate a bag of mushrooms. And it just like it I, I used to look at the world very narrowly. And it just like expanded in my mind. Like it was to this day, probably the best thing I've ever done. And then, you know, it was like sort of this like take hold of the situation type moment where I'm like, yo, my life is falling apart. I got to do something. I got to make some motherfucking money. Um, and and then like the next week, I started playing poker. Um, so yeah, I don't know. They're they're interesting. They're t- they're really good. I think if you feel called to them, if you intuitively feel called to them, I think they have a, like a lot of benefit. But I think that they're like super powerful and they just need to be treated with a lot of respect. Um. And yeah, at this point, I'm like pretty much down the rabbit hole. I've, uh, what have I done? Mushrooms, MDMA, acid, uh, ayahuasca. I've smoked DMT.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, and each, each one is deep. Each one is different. And I've frankly never, even when like they've been bad or tough, so to speak, for me, it's always been, uh, it's always been good, but I'm like quite grounded and resilient. So it's, you know I, I probably do better than most with them um, but yeah some of the most important valuable stuff uh, I've done with my life I think they're awesome you know I'm, I'm actually I'm actually donating money there's a this guy God, what's his name? Rick Doblin who's in charge of maps which is the multidisciplinary Association for psychedelic sciences mm-hmm. um, he MDMA is in the they're about to get it approved for uh, like a used for therapy for PTSD yeah oh, so yes. I am um, And uh, so I, I don't oftentimes donate to charity, but this is one that I feel sort of like aligned with invested in. So I'm going to donate to it. Um, And yeah, I, I I like the direction that's going to it's it's some, you know, my taste is going a little bit slowly uh, than I would like. Like I wish these things were more ubiquitous and that we had centers and, you know, practitioners trained to use them for like, like I don't use, I've never done it for fun. I always do it for like, you know, therapeutic or spiritual yeah. sort of purposes mm-hmm. and i've had it's been nothing but net with me since that first time when i was 18 so um yeah a lot of lot of positive things to say and um uh i i yeah i sort of hope more people use them and, and take them very seriously and, and you know treat them with respect because they are they are serious and if you treat them if you disrespect them <laughs> they will disrespect you so
1: absolutely <laughs> absolutely i, I mean I'm, I'm even just surprised it's uh, gaining the sort of traction that it's already gained from just like a medical, medical, um, yeah. perspective. And it's, 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 I think it's encouraging, man, just as far as, um, I guess we were talking about before, I know there's a lot of doom and gloom right now, um, uh, from a, like a societal societal standpoint, but I mean, I think there is good things going on as well, or maybe that's just the optimist, you know, in me. Who knows? Um
3: uh, yeah, I I know I, I would say I am optimistic. I do think it'll ultimately work out, but I do think that it's gonna get that dimension of it is going to get is is still sort of like unresolved in many ways, this is gonna get ugly before it gets better. Sure. But I do sort of I do sort of feel like we are ultimately destined to succeed. Like from um, I mean, I don't know. I, I I tend to think that like something like a war is is very like people don't want to go to war. They 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 want to eat they want to eat cheesecake factory and and watch Netflix. Like no one wants to go to war. Yeah. And like if like it's like it's like on the one hand go to war, and the other hand everybody has we have to figure out a way for everybody to like eat cheesecake factory and like watch Netflix. I ultimately <laughs> think we'll figure that out. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that that's sort of my outlook. And
1: yeah. No, no I, I agree. I, I agree worry. absolutely. Yeah. I agree. I absolutely agree. Um, I guess no, one more thing I did want to bring up because um, this podcast was supposed to start yesterday. Uh, we had, we had to delay it. Yeah. But uh, you want you want to tell us what went on there? Cause sure. Because J- so, JJ has some
3: questions as well, right? Yeah. No, I would love
2: this. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. that's cool. I'm, I'm good. I'm good with the. I, I got the crypto thing. Good. We're going to talk later about that for sure. No, mm-hmm. no, no, no. I'm talking about no, no. Ryan, Ryan knows what I'm talking about.
1: The uh, so yeah. Oh, so. Yeah,
3: I
2: so um,
3: my poker, my professional poker career ended abruptly due to acute mercury poisoning. I had like a lot, a lot, a lot of mercury in my body. Wow. The reason was because I ate sushi and the, you know, sort of further why is that is likely because my body for one reason or another has a lot of trouble detoxing it. Um, so it got to the point where it almost killed me. It, it got really bad. I gained something like uh, 80 pounds and uh, I thought I was going to die. Um, and this sort of, this dimension for like my health, it is chronic health problems sort of like largely defined my life ever since this happened. And it's been about five years. Um, anyway, one of the, I've cleared up a lot of the issues, but still sort of like struggle with um, mood, focus, sleep, weight, um, brain clarity, you know, things of this nature. And for the last couple of years, I've, Essentially, tried every therapy known to man, um, trying to, and like, you know, some which are conventional, some which are highly unconventional, trying to resolve this issue. And I've known for a couple of years now that I've had low testosterone, which um, is likely what is leading my symptoms, though not necessarily at the core of it. I could still have some residual mercury, which is affecting uh, my testosterone production. But um, I know for a fact that I've had low testosterone now for a couple of years, and it's really been, you know, affecting me. So, I've been putting off doing TRT for a couple years uh, just because I wanted to sort of turn over every stone. And um, I'm also a little bit worried about a couple things. Uh, number one, it could potentially influence fertility, but doesn't necessarily have to. There's, there's ways around that just sort of, you know, cruise through these. But number one, I was worried about fertility. Number two, I was worried about having to then do it forever. Um, I just, you know, at least, at least the idea of that kind of rubbed me the wrong way. And number three, there's this idea of iatrogenics, which is something that Taleb talks about. It's sort of the first rule of medicine means do no harm, um, or in other words, you know, you you try to fill in one hole and, and you you uh, you end up digging a deeper hole mm-hmm. by accident. Um, so just the idea of sort of like dicking around with uh, your, your hormones, your body chemistry, and especially in, in an unreversible, you know, you have to be on it for life type of way, I was worried about. Also, if you go the research indicates that if you uh, do enough to put yourself at unnatural levels, you are at risk for all kinds of, like, you'll just die. Like you're just going to get cancer or heart disease or something um, because uh, yeah, it's just your body can't sort of can't sustain it. So, but if you, but the, you know, the zeitgeist from the group of medical experts that I've consulted with, essentially say that if you do it right, you do not, you know, not enough and you're diligent about continuing, continually testing and monitoring yourself, you're not overdoing it, that you should, you should be okay. and You should be okay. And all, always including fertility and including the ability to potentially come off of it, uh, especially earlier on. So yeah, so yesterday we had to, we were originally scheduled slated to, to record this, but I got my first injection. Um, and it just hit me like a you know I was just really tired. You know, I assume my body acclimating to it and whatever. Um, and then actually slept pretty good last night and feel pretty good today. So well you know I, I think we're gonna need a couple of months to get like a proper assessment. But uh, yeah, I'm diving in and you know we'll see how it
2: uh, we'll see how it goes. Interesting. Yeah, very curious. You know, because I'm 52. You know, people are like, oh yeah, you should you know. Check out this you know the test thing, and so i I haven't really spoken to anyone who's who started it, so it'd be interesting to monitor that.
3: yeah, I know I'd be happy to uh, to follow up with you i especially i for me, it was definitely sort of like an age thing, like I was thinking like if all things being equal at forty, I would highly consider it, and at fifty I would be almost certain to just go for it um but uh but yeah, no i you know I, from all the research I've done, everybody that gets on it is 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 very pleased and especially. As you get older and older, it's you know it's it's a more and more exciting proposition. So,
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah, and, J- and JJ, go get it. Go to your doctor, not the guy at Gold's Gym. All
2: right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, don't worry. I got some in the trunk of my car. Don't worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, back in the old days, we used to have this one guy. There were three guys, and they I used to call them the stormtroopers. They all had this. They all thought they were Thor and um they were just big roid heads you know they'd up, come up to me because i was taking microbiology and they'd be like jj so we'd be you know we get some ativar and we crush it up real good can we inject it i'm like no 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 that's not how it works that's not- <laughs> <laughs> oh man yeah, the 80s were an interesting time <laughs> yeah
3: I also feel like we're in some ways we're in like a golden uh, era of it in that like guys have been doing it for like a little while now Yeah. and there's a fair bit of research on it and that you can get yourself you know a competent medical professional and do it in like a very you know s- environment. safe controlled yeah, right. with, in, like,
1: in the proper color, way yeah, yeah. yeah. absolutely alright well Going to conclude today's episode of Confessions of a Market Maker. Uh, if you guys enjoyed the show, please rate and review it for us. Uh, if you guys want to learn market auction theory, market profile, trade futures, trade equities, join JJ and I at microefutures.com and equitiesetc.com feeds. Tell the people where they can find you and anything else you'd like them to know.
3: Twitter or Instagram uh, at Ryan Fee Poker. And uh, yeah, if you want some seriously strong poker coaching check out upswing poker um you know uh, if you don't know like me and doug are no joke um and we've mm-hmm. really poured our heart and soul into making like the best easiest to use poker you know courseware to elevate your game and i'm sure yeah a lot of traders want to like step up their game and then kick kick their friend's ass and you know upswing poker <laughs> is definitely the edge that uh would uh would be sort of the perfect thing for that so yeah check us out absolutely jj parting words
2: Oh, it was great having you on the show. I learned a lot, and definitely need to talk to you more about making markets in crypto. It's fascinating yeah. stuff.
3: For sure, yeah. No, I look forward to that we should, uh, we should definitely follow up.
2: Very good, uh, Ryan.
1: Appreciate you, man. Um, like I said in the beginning, this this was a uh, this was a big one for me, man. I mean, you know, coming up playing poker, um, it means a lot that you came on, man. I really appreciate it. So thanks. Yeah,
3: you're very welcome. Excellent yeah. conversation. I Think you guys are doing great things. So happy to be here.
1: All right. Awesome. All right. And so for Ryan Fee, I'm Paulie Walnuts. He's the gorilla of house street. You stop. So.